beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, I feel the love. <laughs> yeah. It's quite amazing how we get this calling in our heart. We get this tickle. Sometimes we don't even know what it is, but we it does have kind of a feeling that there's somehow there's more than our everyday experience of this world. Something more. And it, all it takes is that little nudge, that little tickle. And it seems to carry us on in ways we can't even begin to imagine. I know even for myself to think, if somebody had said 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago that we'd be out here in rural Utah, in the wind, in the high desert, I would say, what are you on about? Like, we just don't have a clue where this will seem to take us and or even what we will seem to go through, what will be required. But it doesn't really matter. There's that tickle, there's that nudge that's there. That's It's almost like an implant of you will remember who you are, you will know the truth. It's destined Our identity is is destined to be remembered, and then whatever we seem to have to go through, that's destined as well. In fact, Jesus does say in the introduction of A Course in Miracles, only the time you take it is voluntary, about the curriculum. So, it's very destined to wake up to Love and oneness is completely destined. And then in the Manual for Teachers, he said, you can't even decide the form of the curriculum. So, only the time you take it is voluntary and you can't even decide the form. Very, very beautiful. It's almost like, wow, I can relax then. That means even the seeming pathway that I take is destined. It's all just going to be given to me. I will seem to be moving through it, but I will reach a point where I just laugh and I feel like, wow, just all for one insight of who I am. That's what it was all for. No war stories, no rehashing how I got here. The It's like you get up, 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 and then the how disappears too. The, the ladder that you seem to take gets blown away in the wind and... Not even a ladder remains, not even a, a glimmering of the past. And, yeah, these are precious times. I mean, I was just talking before I came here, before we had mystery schools, we would do these devotional retreats, mostly over in Europe, mostly on an island in, off the coast of Spain, in Mallorca. Come together for four weeks, and, and then with six weeks and six weeks, and... It was a little bit, a little bit different than the mystery school. I mean, I would get four or five of my friends. We would land. We would get there. We would rent some big casas and a swimming pool and whatever for six weeks. Everybody would show up. We didn't have an orientation like you guys had a weekend orientation. We didn't have a weekend orientation back then. Then we had an easing in period when you guys came. We didn't have an easing in period. Everybody 
landed the first night. Hi, welcome, welcome. You're on the kitchen team. You, you, you. You're going to be cleaning. You, you, you. Oh, you're going to take care of the pool. You, you. And people, wow, 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 I just got off the plane. <laughs> we did the flip on day one. <laughs> and then six weeks later, everyone was like, ah. <laughs> the first two or three weeks, it was but it was, it was, we did the flip right away. And then, and then everyone just, just kind of went, whoa. <laughs> and then, because that was just part of like shaking, shaking and waking. Like if you've been in a deep slumber and you're so deep in dreaming and you need somebody, <laughs> you know, there's, there's been some movies where they, where, uh, they just try to wake somebody up. I think it was that movie with Bill Murray, What About Bob? Uh, they went in, uh, uh, I think it was Richard Dreyfus went in and Bob was sleeping and he was like shaking him, shaking him. And then, then he was literally pounding on him. He was pounding on him, pounding on him for like 60 seconds. And then finally Bob just wakes up. <laughs> and for this is more of a, every time you go for spiritual awakening, it's a bit of shaking and loosening from comforts, conveniences from the upside down perspective of the world where you get so into the slumber and you get so settled into the daily routines of your personality's life seemingly and then you get nestled in and then everything seems to be about protecting that mask. And then initially you have to flush up even to see that you're wearing a mask because you forget that you're dreaming, you forget that you're wearing a mask, and then you take every little tiny thing that happens throughout the day and every thought you have as being your daily life. And then you forget that you're dreaming and you forget that you made it all up and you forget that it's always your own lesson and you forget it's always about identity and nothing else. And then for some of us who have studied about spiritual awakening, we, we, the ego is like, well, I have to maintain myself. So if I need to, I have to pull out my ace card, the spiritual identity. And then we take on a spiritual identity with rituals and we may have a part of it that's service, part of it that's this, part of it's that. And then that becomes like a whole thing in itself. It's just a spiritual identity. It's no different really than the other masks, but now we've put the spiritual label on top of it. So we may even feel even more inflated and a little bit better off than the others who don't seem to know that it's all about waking up to God. We've got a spiritual mask, and then that whole thing is going to have to fall too. And that's what happens, I think. That's what I like about these mystery schools and these devotionals. When you all come together, really there is a sincere desire to wake up. But then when you bring everyone together, it's all that things that get flushed up of just the spiritual mask. You know, even if you have 25 spiritual masks come together, there's, that's wonderful because there's going to be a lot of cracking. You can hear the cracking and crunching up in the bunk room. In the shower, the bathhouse—it's—it's it's like pouring milk on Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, and pop. And 
And the snap and the crackle is not so fun, and the pop. <laughs> so then you ah, but but ultimately, you know, that's what you're praying for underneath. Is you're praying for whatever contrast experience it takes, whatever it takes, to start to come to that surrender, that pop, that takes you closer to the awareness of dreaming, like hmm. And to that place where you can just observe without a desire for anything at all to be different. Just coming back into that stillness where everything, and I mean absolutely everything, is equally acceptable. And there's only way that that can come to the mind is, is a transcendent moment of stillness, of transcendence of judgment. Because judgment, the ego, is never going to see everything equally as acceptable. It's always going to break break it apart and analyze it and say some things are better than others and then evaluate and where am I and compared to others. And it's just when comparisons involved, reality is not. Because there is no comparison in oneness. So that's the prayer of the heart. We really are not in charge of even trying to figure it out or... Or in charge of making it happen, that can be part of the spiritual identity is I gotta make it happen. I have to do the right things. I have to somehow we take this performance anxiety that we've had with the world and then we transfer it to spirituality and then there's performance anxiety around waking up and there's more comparisons and uh, they look pretty comfortable and calm over there. Why am I not getting this? And, you know, this it's just the ego will always try to use comparison and tricks. So, there will be concepts and roles, and you can see that even during this mystery school, there's, there's certain roles, and they're used in a temporary way, but they're only used for loosening the mind from the identification of the person. There has to be a willingness to say there must be some kind of transcendent goal. We could call it non-judgment or the state of stillness that's above and beyond all of the fluff of the world. And our prayer is just to be lifted up into the transcendent state. To start to see in the end, even concepts of like community are just concepts. The community is a state of mind. That was the, you watch being there. That I showed that movie when I, taught uh, students down in, in the psychology, down in an art institute in downtown Cincinnati. I, I, I brought that movie from the library. I've been talking about all these things, and they were all, oh, I, see it, I see it, I see it. And then the final thing was when, when he walked out across the water, stuck his uh, umbrella down with great curiosity into the water, and then the voice came on in the background, life is a state of mind. And then the students were like, what was that? What happened? I followed it all the way to that last point, but I didn't get the very last scene. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, they were curious. What was the meaning there of that? They saw all the projections and all the true empathy and the disidentification, but then that was like, that was a, a, an important moment of not being able to figure out anything. That was a, 
a salvation moment. I do not know the thing I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going, or how to look upon the world or on myself. How to look upon water. What's this? Wonder what would happen if I put <laughs> my umbrella down there. Wonder if the umbrella will go down. You know, it's just a, a state of curiosity, which is openness, not already thinking you know what the world means, just in a state of curiosity. So that's what this is all about. That's what's underneath this. And then it comes to the point of actually the the dismantling is just part of coming closer and closer in your mind to a place where you just don't care about the world of images. That's where you're gonna, that's where the dismantling is leading. Krishnamurti would say to people as he was eyes twinkling, face sparkling, happy, joyful, he would say, the only difference between me and you is I don't care. <laughs> that was with a big smile on his face and his eyes sparkling. I don't care. Doesn't you, don't you see how that dovetails with the first lesson of the workbook? Nothing I see means anything. If that's true, and, and that's the whole lesson, Jesus says you, all you have to do is get one lesson and you get the entire 365. So if, if you just embrace that lesson, then that would be embracing, I don't care what I perceive. Because it doesn't mean anything. I care, I get into false empathy, I get into false responsibility, I get into conflict, I get into judgment, I get into struggle, I get into challenge, when I care about the meaningless. And when I don't care anymore, then I'm acknowledging the meaninglessness. And I, and, and who I am is very important, but it's not, he's just, that's the first lesson in dismantling the belief that there's an external world outside your mind. It's a very important lesson. And so that's what you want to come, just to a state of watching. Forgiveness is quiet and silently does nothing. It looks and waits and watches and judges not. It's, people say, hmm, that, that forgiveness, if that's forgiveness, it sounds quite passive and that would fit with, I need do nothing. But it's a passivity of mind. It's not talking about the body being passive. A lot of times, peace people will, will take on a role, call, call themselves a pacifist. In other words, I will not fight, I will be a pacifist, but it's like, that's still at the level of form. And the Course is not trying to teach us to be a certain way in form. It's teaching us to have a still mind. So, right-mindedness, coming into that place of stillness, that still point in your mind, that is the goal of the Course, to come into that still point of right-mindedness. And then beyond that, let grace handle the rest. You don't have to try to figure out what's beyond right-mindedness. Right-mindedness just seeing there's no cause outside of the mind. 
That's the purification that's occurring. That's the relaxation, the stillness. That's the strawberry fields forever. There's nothing to get hung about. <laughs> that's the way the Beatles say it. There's so many ways of saying it, but that's one way of saying it. There's nothing to get hung about. And, and it seems to be a turnaround because everything that, that we have learned from the past, for example, relationships, the relationships teachings and beliefs in our mind would say, well, if you don't care about relationships, that's not going to be good for the relationship. Why? Because people say relationships require so much work. Who taught us these things? Why would we want to be in a relationship if it's going to be so much work? You know, you call marriage the ball and chain, and they call relationships, oh, there's so much work. Oh, yeah, we're happy, but we work at it. Hmm. We're happy. It takes a lot of energy to maintain it, but we're happy. You know, it's like there, it's almost like the, you have to force yourself to even have a happy relationship. And that just cannot be salvation's ways to, to force, have to force something to maintain. To the ego, of course, relationships are a lot of work because always it's having to face these intense emotions. Always challenges, always difficulties, daily, a whole daily set of, of challenges and difficulties. And that yet those that have gone off to monasteries or off to live in the woods or whatever, they, your mind goes with you wherever you seem to go. Um, the same thoughts are still there, whether the bodies are apart or together. It still comes back to the purification in the mind. It still comes back to the mind training. It still comes back to seeing the false as false, to dropping inward, to sinking below all those riotous sights and sounds and thoughts of the ego. So, to hold the focus on forgiveness and healing, that's... That really is what this is about. When we would have those six-week devotionals and we would flip it all the first day, everyone would show up and we would have, everybody would be assigned roles and everything. The, the ego would have a riotous fit, um, with the flip because it was, it was almost like, like being a fish in water and being taken out of the water. It would just be flipping on the beach. Those first days, you know, it was like, Flipping, 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 because it was, it was out of its comfort zone. But it was a false sense of comfort based on rituals, based on things of this world. And then, and the, as the flip continued, then it would be like the same teaching. Oftentimes, I mean, I really, during a lot of those six month or six week, six month, that'd be quite a session. Six week sessions, um, I would I would just pray to the Holy Spirit, uh, and in those early days of those those devotionals, I would just receive, just meditate by the pool and listen to your your earbuds and listen to your music and do your meditations all day long, and then have a nice community dinner together, and we would have a very mind opening movie. <laughs> 
at night. And that was my draw. That was my draw to come to Spain, just to be with everybody, share a meal together, and share a mind-blowing Carry me into the mystic movie every night for six weeks. And that was like our focal point. We would just, we would all hold on. And, and it was also Jesus giving us the movies. I remember, Eric probably remembers those days where I would say, Oh, there's going to be a movie. We're eating the meal. What's the movie? What's the movie? The tech team needs to know. Don't know yet. Sometimes I wouldn't know till dessert. Quarter of <laughs> having the sweet dessert. Oh, this is what I'm hearing. Oh, ooh, and then zoom. We would go for the next three and a half hours, just swirling into the mystic, uh, letting Jesus pick the movies, going on a ride every night, and and actually, people were quite ready for that ride after doing whatever they were cooking, cleaning doing whatever, cleaning the pool, you know, we were, we were ready. We had some collaborations, but there, it was, the flip was, was occurring during the days and the ego was rebelling and revolting and screaming and everything. And then those dinners were like, ah, let's all come together and get ready to go into an experience together, a communion experience, to be transported. So that's how, that's how these longer events came. Now I think I was just saying before I came in too with, with all of the, the speakers and movie watchers guides and online retreats and tools, tools, resources. It's like we have a flood of resources that are quite engaging and are very like, if you talked about peeling the onion, these are some sharp knives. You can go in there and peel away during the day. And so we don't quite have the same. I, I know a few of you have been starting to think like this is like the cocoon. And it's like, what happens when I go back <laughs> outside of the cocoon? Those thoughts may start to come up. And I do remember, I did address them like on the, f the final two days of those six-week retreats. Everyone would come to me and go, what next? We, how can we go back? <laughs> After this experience, what, what am I even going back to? How can I try to reinsert myself into what seemed to be my daily life? And we would take a couple days at the end of the six weeks. And it was usually though about connecting online, connecting in groups, connecting in ways, staying in touch with each other, like you were doing. It was a continuation of the communication. But nowadays there's so many resources, so many tools that have emerged and online retreats and so on and so forth that, that I don't really think it's like a, a, such a gulf as it was back in the early days. Now it's like you can just step right in without missing a beat because you, you get your mind moving in a direction and you've got the resources and you've got the contacts and you can do that. You can seem to do it wherever you are. I just, I was on Jason's uh, From the Bottom Up show, when was that, a couple, almost three hours ago, uh, we were having a, a beautiful online discussion, But and then there was a whole group of people tuned in there, and that's just another way, that's every, that's like weekly, every week, 
people tuning in, joining in there. I got to see the screen with all the the faces, everybody waving. Monterey, Mexico, Europe, here, there, all just waving, waving, waving. You know, there's just a lot of symbols now where it's not such a concern about how will I continue. But once you get the direction, once you get into the rhythm of what this is, and you're into the movement of it, then again, it's prearranged. It's destined. It's, it's not something to be figured out. It's something to be felt into. It's something to be allowed. Uh, I was just on that online show with, and then we had, took some questions at the end and our, our friend Jesus from Monterey. Jesus, when I went to Mexico, it was Jesus and his family, the Delgados, who would welcome me in. There was like a, Jesus had a welcoming family for, for Mexico. And they talk about loving us up. They, they loved us. They, they came down to where we lived in Chapala. They brought the whole family down. They came, they came. They were like our host, almost like a, uh, an exchange student. I was like an exchange student coming to Mexico for the first time. And Jesus had the host family there. And the father's name was Jesus. And the son's name was Jesus. <laughs> And it was Jesus was like saying, I don't want you to miss this. So sometimes I have to give you some strong symbols. So it was Jesus and Jesus. And um, we have been loved up. They have had us up in Monterey that we have hosted them. It's just been a love affair that's gone on for the last maybe six six years. But you see how obvious that is. That was that was part of our being drawn to Mexico with our host family, and it just unfolded and unfolded and unfolded. And uh, and Jesus, he just was saying today, he said, I don't speak very good English. I understood every word he said in English. He spoke beautifully today, and it was all about taking whatever the day offers. He's He's unwinding from a concept of like being the head of the family, of having to make all these decisions, having to smooth things over, having to balance the family. He's just been letting go of it all, just accepting whatever comes for the day. And even saying, I don't know if I'm doing it right, but that's what I'm doing. I'm just taking whatever the day gives me, and I'm I'm accepting it. I'm not fighting it. I'm not judging it. He just Those were his words. Then he said, I don't know. If my English is good enough, oh, I understood every single word he was sharing there today because it was about allowance. It was about surrender. It was about letting go of trying to control the family members, control the environment, control his life, control his spiritual journey. He simply was resigning. Like Jesus says, resign now as your own teacher. It's a great line in the Course. Resign now as your own teacher. We don't have to lead. It's like if you were in one of these dances with Jesus, let Jesus lead. <laughs> don't try to steer Jesus of how this is to go. Let Jesus take the lead. It's a wonderful experience when you have a dance partner that is loving and gentle and confident and takes the lead and you 
yield into that experience of the dance. You you feel swirled around. You feel like you can almost leave the earth uh, because it's such a glorious lead. And that's why he's an elder brother for us. He's been through the trials, the tribulations, the distortions, the misperceptions. He's transcended them, and now he's he's a good one to lead. He also leads as with partnerships where you're dancing together. There's an equal partnership there. Even in Christ leading the way, it's through the form of a partnership. And, and not leading from a place of superiority. Not leading from a place of, I am greater than you. There was a beautiful time when Helen and Bill went into this Catholic church and they went down and they have the pews and those little things that you can, and they, they were felt to kneel together and they knelt down in the church and they could see, as most churches have Jesus there in a Catholic church on the cross and so forth. But, um, much to their surprise, Jesus appeared to them and came in and knelt down with them beside them. Not on a cross, not higher than. He came right in and he appeared and he knelt down with them. That's coming to that place of grace where you have Jesus kneeling beside you as a perfect equal and just beside you in presence, radiating the presence that, that is shared. Christ is a presence that is shared. Christ, even at times people would say, well, you know, you say this, the Father and I are one, and Jesus says, yes, that statement has two parts to it, because the Father is greater. He said you should experience awe in the presence of one who is greater than who you are. Even greater than your Christ self is the, is the, the being, the presence that created Christ. Even greater than the Christ is God, the prime creator. And that prime creator gave everything away in creation and Jesus says, you are like that Creator in every way except for one. Christ did not create God. God created Christ. Awe. That's awe. When Jesus is in awe of something, <laughs> you better be ready to tune in to what Jesus Christ is in awe of. Jesus would say things in the Bible like, why do you call me good? God is good. He was pointing to a an awesome presence that was greater than the Christ and lived in it lived and moved and breathed and, and existed in that presence of God. But there was no authority issue there. There was no teenage rebellion. There was no terrible twos. There was no sense of no. It was yes. In fact, Jesus says, that's how you were created. When you were created, you said yes to the creation. Talk about making a promise. You acknowledged yourself as perfect love in your creation. And so you can see this whole ego 
seeming ego thing is an attempt to rebel against a promise that was made. When God created the perfect Christ, Christ answered yes. Christ acknowledged. Christ said, I receive this. I receive my innocence. I receive my perfection. And that's why the ego is an attempt to disavow an eternal promise, to disavow innocence, divine innocence, to disavow creation, creation itself, to disavow that. And the good news, as we're being shown, is that that's why it's important to forgive, because you can't really break yourself away from God. It's impossible. You can dream it, but you can't you can't do it in reality. It's just a dream. There was something that Jesus said on the cross. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that is really an appeal to God for forgiveness. But as we know from the Course, God does not forgive. But it's an appeal to remember God. Remember the true creation. Remember my own divinity. Remember my own divine innocence. Forgive them, for they know not what they do, is, an, is a prayer for remembrance of God. Because God is so loving and so awesome and so amazing that, that God actually transcends what we would call forgiveness. But, but for the mind that is, seems to be asleep and dreaming, seems to be split into love and fear, forgiveness is the great need of that mind. In fact, it's the only need. What other need could could you possibly have except to see the nothingness of that split, to see the impossibility of that split? Not that you actually have to find a real reparation, a real salvation, because that's been given too. That's part of that's what the atonement is. The atonement is the awareness that the separation never happened. Doesn't that make sense? It can't be a real repair. If there wasn't a real split, you don't need a real repair. But that's a call back into the humbleness. I am a creation of God. I live and move and breathe in God. I have no existence. I have no life apart from God. God is life itself. And, and that's just, you might say, an attitude. Even when we come here and we, we say, I want to learn to merge. I want to learn to be in service. I want to learn to be obedient to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within me that knows the way to, to God. That's just, it's a decision in our mind to come back to that graceful presence of, of being one with the Source. And really that's the only thing. The difficulty comes in is when you have those moments of forgetfulness, when you really think you're, you're cooking something or cleaning something, or you really think you're moving something, or you really think you're communicating with words. You really think that there's some action that's important, either your own action or some other action. That's the sleep of forgetfulness. That's getting back into the mask. And as soon as we drop, into the mask, we try to take responsibility for that, for that action, for that thought, for that feeling. 
But those aren't real actions or thoughts or feelings. It's just like dropping into the mesmerism, dropping into the, the sleep of forgetfulness. Almost like you're swimming along, your head's above water, and whoop, you go underwater for a moment, and you start to take something seriously, anything. It doesn't matter. It could be an ant walking. Hey, what are you doing there? You know, it's like it, if you take responsibility for anything. I've been watching this uh, series. I don't know how. I've never been a binge watcher. I didn't even know what binge watching was. And then I'm sitting there in silence for days and days and days and days. And then suddenly it's like, watch the Marvel series Iron Fist. So I'm like, and then Suava brings it up and I go, there, there, hit that thing, that thing there. She goes, no, you're in season two. You haven't even seen season one. No, I'm supposed to be there, right there, that one. Season two, first episode. So, I don't know, a matter of days later, I've binge-watched for the first time <laughs> The Iron Fist. And it's loaded with gems, you know, all about, there's all these metaphysical gems the whole way through, all about the chi and expanding in the chi, and, and even though it's terms that I can't understand, like uh, warrior monks, I'm like, Warrior monks? That doesn't make any sense. How could there even be such a thing as a warrior monk? I thought, well, this must be some device for something, but warrior monk. And the idea of Iron Fist, I mean, the whole idea of fighting. Eventually, as I watched enough, I was able to hear one of the characters go, what about Gandhi? <laughs> you know? And then one went, Christ, Jesus. You know, And I'm like... I said, it's coming through little <laughs> flickers of light. But it was, I'd never binge-watched. Uh, it was Marvel too, you know. You know, the, the Marvel, all that. We've seen so many movies, you know, Days of Future Past and all the great things. But this was Marvel TV, sometimes a bloody mess. I've never seen so many, so much blood flowing from bodies and hacked up bodies. I guess once you get into knives and swords, it is bloody, 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 bloody. Blood all over the place and all these confrontations and everything. But there were these beautiful lessons of of letting go. I could see it with all the characters. They were so frustrated while they still believed that they had to protect something, defend something, win something. Uh, for their honor or from ancient traditions and they were told they were the Iron Fists, you have to become the Iron Fist and all, all these things. And finally, the, you know, it was almost, it was impossible to be the Iron Fist. It was just a glowing fist that could punch through steel. But eventually there's more than a glowing, one person had a glowing yellow fist, another one threw the dragon and the blood and the, all the different things. We had a glowing red fist, and then the other one, a glowing white fist. I thought, oh, that's good. At least they get different colors of the iron fist. But it wasn't male or female. One time it was a female, then it was a male. It was not. And But in the end, it was a beautiful experience of what I've been talking about. You do have to just see the nothingness. That's the point. 
I could sit there in these last couple episodes with Fava, and she's like, it's a bit bloody. I mean, there was blood everywhere. It's just like blood on the carpet, blood on the walls, and then taking a hammer and hacking people's teeth out in blood. And just, it was the most gruesome. I thought, wow, they don't even do this in the Marvel movies. Nobody would show up. It's just blood on, on everything. But it was good because I don't care. I don't care. I don't see the meaning in the images. I didn't mind watching. It, it wasn't a bloody mess to me. It was just a, just more appearances. And that's the whole point of mind watching. That's the point of everything. The, the one thing that all the images share, the one purpose that the images share is forgiveness. It's seeing their nothingness. That's the purpose of that gong. That's the purpose of this can. That's the purpose of this candle. That's the purpose of this toe. That's the purpose of this rug. It's the purpose of this microphone. Everything that's an image shares the same purpose, and the purpose is to see its nothingness. Lesson number one. Nothing I see means anything. You could say that the same with sounds. Nothing I hear <laughs> means anything. Nothing I smell means anything, you know. Nothing I taste means anything. If you really want to start to spread it through the senses, you know. And even when you get into, like, sixth sense, you know, it would be kind of nice. Like, there's five senses, and then you sixth sense. Nothing I experience with my sixth sense means anything. Wow! Now that's mystical. Even my sixth sense. Because what? The senses are all part of the ego. So even your sixth sense. Remember that movie with Haley Joe? What was it called? Where he comes out, he says, I see dead people. Doesn't mean anything. Wouldn't it be great if you had a child that came up and they, they gave you this look and they go, I see dead people. Most people hear that line in that movie and they get chills when the little boy says that. Well, you could just say, no, they're not real. <laughs> they're as real as the other people that I'm seeing. <laughs> you know, you could say it with humor, you could say it with lightness, not with a chill. Because ghosts, ooh, those are supposed to be outside of the everyday normal perception, you know. I've had people say that they would have a heart attack if Jesus showed up in their bedroom or Mother Mary. Because it's too far outside their box of what is acceptable perception. If people tell me, no, I would just, Jesus, please come to me some other way, but don't come into my bedroom at night. I see a shadow. Turn the light on. It's Jesus! Ah! <laughs> Jesus, you scared me. No, he said that's false cause and effect. Let's go back to lesson number one. You know. You have to, you have to be willing to carry it all the way through with everything, with visions, even everything. They're just symbols. They're just symbols. They're all the same. And we're here to practice. That's why we practice with, with our lessons. That's why we practice every day with this mind training. We know we've, we're taking on high mind training. So we must be ready for it. If it's coming into our awareness, if it's coming into our experience, we must be ready for it. 
Whatever it is, we must be ready for it. Jesus tells us that in the rules for decision, that he says, you know, you have to decide the kind of day you want, and then make if say and mean, if I make no decisions by myself, this is the day that will be given me. A happy day, a joyful day, a free-flowing day, whatever you say. But then he goes on to say, you really can't make decisions by yourself. That you're always making decisions with the spirit or with the ego. There is no decision maker. There is no third autonomous part that's like, that gets so frustrated. It says, enough! You, Holy Spirit, I'm not listening to you. You ego, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to make all my decisions by myself. Jesus says, no, you always are making decisions with the spirit with the ego. There is no other option. There is no third option. And then he goes on to say that what you perceive in the world couldn't even seem to happen unless you were making a decision, unless you had made an agreement. You, it's not like something happens out of accident. Something happens at random. Something happens out of just happen chance. Something that happens, whether it's lucky or something. No, Jesus eliminates luck, randomness, happenstance. He re eliminates everything else and basically says, it couldn't even seem to happen unless you had an agreement with one of these two purposes in your mind. And that's why it's so important to get clear of these two purposes. Because the ego wants us to think that there's real change happening in the world, and the Spirit is saying, no, you have to change your mind about your mind, which means accept the Holy Spirit's purpose as your only purpose you would serve. That's what has to happen. That's what spiritual awakening is about. It's not about changing anything in the world and making better circumstances. It's about accepting the eternal nature of your mind. Accepting your mind as God created your mind. Now that is significant. All these other changes and all this other ego spinning to try to improve the world, improve the circumstances, have better circumstances, better environment, make things better. That's just the ego spinning its wheels, trying to say, come over here and put your energy into change in the world, and it's a trick. There's nothing new under the sun in the world. There's, it's all the same images just rehashed over and over in different seeming configure, configurations, but they don't, they're really not different. It's just a trick. That's why the smallest book that I ever wrote is the little teeny one. I don't know if we have it in here or not, but its purpose is the only choice. It's, oh, they're in there. There's a little, there it is. It's a tiny little book. It's a little white book or a black book, depending on whichever one, <laughs> the latest one. It's even smaller. It got smaller. <laughs> I remember Jason saying, "Yeah, he he took that to the to the Alps in Switzerland, and he would just stick it in his pocket, and he would pull it out and read a couple sentences, and then he would just pray and meditate sometimes for days on those sentences." took him a while to make it through that tiny little book when you just do a, a sentence or two at a time, but it was wanting to savor it. Purpose is the only choice. Purpose simplifies a complex world by showing you it. it's what is it for is the only helpful question 
with anything that you could ever ponder doing. Instead of getting into all the analysis of how will this benefit me and what are the pros and what are the cons and turning it into a big, long, complicated procedure of analysis, Jesus is there, oh no, purpose. Let's just ask the simple question, what is it for? Think how that would simplify your decision making. If you wanted to have one tool to go forth from this mystery school, it would be that. Just be honest with yourself and say, what is the purpose? You can do it with relationships, you can do it with thoughts about what your next steps are. That'll simplify your fear and confusion about next steps. That one question, what is it for? If you start really applying that like a torch, like you have to go into this dark cave, but you've got your torch. What is it for? At every little turn in walking through that cave, you just remember to keep that torch lit in front of you. That's what I had to do. I mean, I was in university for 10 years straight and and I was kind of caught in a web of academia, a web of, web of degrees and papers and grades and, and majors and all kinds of things. And it was when I finally took a walk in the woods, it was that question that saved me from academia. It kept, prevented me from going on another 10 years. Because <laughs> there was some, curiosity about it, but there was also some avoidance. I was avoiding going into adult life, avoiding going into the workaday world, competition, struggle, striving. I was using academia to hide a little bit from facing the challenges of the human experience. And then, thankfully, during the walk in Burnett Woods, which is where I was next to the university, I thought, Jesus just came in and he said, what is, what is the purpose of all this study? All these pursuits of degrees, all these papers you do, all these groups and all these assignments. You've been doing assignments for 10 years full-time in university, undergrad and grad. And then Jesus comes whooshing in like a, like a flash of white light. What is the purpose of all this learning? What do you hope to come of this? Then I could have a heart-to-heart -heart with Jesus. Well, I'm doing all this because I believe I need. I started telling him all my needs and my wants, and I need all this academia. And then he was telling me, hmm, yeah, you have every right to be happy. You have every right to be free. You have every right to have connection and intimacy. You have every right but you're going about it the wrong way. Learning more things about this world is not going to get you to any of those things, but you have every right to ask for these things. That's what the purpose did for me. It started to clarify, what did I really want? And then have Jesus say, very good. All those things you're asking for are your birthright. You were given all of those things by God in your creation. And now you've overlearned a world where you believe you're lacking all those things and you need all this concepts and stuff, stacks of it, to get it back. But learning will not get you back your inheritance. What will get me back my inheritance? Forgiveness. 
But I don't know how to forgive, obviously. If I wouldn't be in academia searching for 10 years if I knew how to forgive. Yeah, he said, that's my job. I will instruct you in the ways of forgiveness. I will help you unlearn. Oh, please don't say that I've been learning for 10 years and now I have to unlearn. Yes, all of it. Give it all to me. Let me give you guidance and instruction using the words that you've learned, using whatever you've learned. Let, give it to me and I will turn it around. I will turn the tables. I will take you in a helpful direction that will bring you happiness, joy, freedom, intimacy, all peace, all those things that you want but believe you do not have. We will go in the new direction. So even if there's just one thing that you could take with you would be what is it for? You could apply that to anything that you're pondering, anything that you're considering. Even the idea, if you talk to most people, they would say, why do you need a career? Is because they have a lot of future goals that involve very much form-based things, and they need the career to achieve, as a means to achieve those future goals. But forgiveness is a present goal. Forgiveness takes you e deeply into the present moment. Forgiveness helps you forget the future, forget the past, and certainly to stop trying to pursue the future and the past as realistic goals. You will say, no, let this present goal take the place of those other pursuits. And it works. It works. Do you want to find rest for your soul? This is, you could say, guaranteed to work. It's not, there's not a percentage attached to it. Percentage of probability, potential of working. This is a, a certainty. It cannot fail. Somebody came up to me at one of the conferences and he was like, he said, I was at this lesson the other day and it, it, it kept repeating, Jesus kept repeating for like seven or eight, nine times the same idea in the same, in the lesson. It was something like, no one can fail who seeks to read the truth. God's plan for salvation is guaranteed. You know, it was just, coming so strong, just Jesus kept repeating it, that guaranteed word that we hear in this world that doesn't seem to pan out, but this was God's plan for your salvation is guaranteed. No one can fail who seeks to reach the truth. Those are comforting words that, that like wash over your mind. Oh, but I've messed it up. No one can fail who seeks to reach the truth. Your salvation is guaranteed by God. That's the promise. We just have to feel inside we're worthy of the promise. We made the promise to God when God created us as Christ. We said yes. We can't go back on that. It's not that we have to figure out an impossible dream now. We just have to come back to that yes. 
And many times when people come on the spiritual journey, they do find that that that's the hardest thing to do, is, but is to start to say yes to those inner nudges, those inner prompts, to say yes to the Holy Spirit, to say yes to that guidance. The ego is always trying to explain it away. Oh, you didn't hear that. You didn't feel that. Oh, come on. You're not going to, you know, it's always trying for, to us ignore those nudges and prompts. But we are worth those nudges and prompts. And even if you feel, I can't consistently hear it, that's part of the Mighty Companions. That's why we're brought together with Mighty Companions. They're the symbols of support. They're the ones that smile at us. They're the ones that hug us. They're the ones that are gentle and say, you can do this. Of course you can do this. Or, don't pressure yourself. Don't try, you don't have to force it. You don't have to try to make it happen. Just allow it to come to you. It will come at the perfect time. Just allow it to come. You don't have to force square pegs into round holes, or you don't have to try to make it happen. Think how different that is from the world's message, like carve out your niche, build your identity, take the world on with the world's teachings and then fight and scrap and push and keep carving until you carve out your little niche, tiny little niche. What happens when you carve out your tiny little niche? Then you're a success. Really? Carving out a niche is a success? I think I'm worth more than that. <laughs> and yet the world, that's all the world knows, is carve out your niche, specialize in something, be good at your tiny little part. <laughs> and yet we're told in the Course that we have a part to accept the atonement, to accept our innocence, and it's for the whole universe. Our part is essential in the whole plan. So different from that, that old story. So, I, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I thought we would we would have a, a Q and A session if there was any questions at this point. But that's all I have to say, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> We've got the purple mic. <laughs> yeah, uh, you say that this this sin. The senses are all from the ego, how to feel, experience. But does it mean it's it's wrong to enjoy a nice smell or a beautiful flower? Or is that also ego trick? Like, no, I think it's beautiful. It's, in fact, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, can use everything that the ego made. So even though the world was made in hate, that the sights and smells and the senses and all that were made in hate, and they were made with a purpose of hate. That's what, that's where they came from. The Holy Spirit can use anything that the ego made. And that's the beauty of, of unwinding and, and guidance. Um, there, for example, like with a smell, there are a lot of us that, that really have enjoyed that where, where maybe even our mystical experiences sometimes start with a sweet fragrance. Or <clears throat> there's a sweet memory. I've, I know with people, 
where they love somebody so dearly who's passed away, and then there'll be a nature and they'll have this fragrance come that reminds them so strongly of that person that they love so dearly. That's the Holy Spirit using the fragrance as an activating agent of memory to come into the present moment, to come into an experience that transcends that. So, what we've talked about a lot is, when you're in the human experience, when you are completely immersed in the five senses, and it seems now to be your life, that your life is sensation, then the Spirit will have to use those sensations to say, oh yes, there is so much more. And I mean, I've given so many parables over these last 32 years with the Course of, of sharing the parables where the senses were used as like symbols of, they're like guidance symbols. Um, and we still see these come in in a practical way on a daily basis. There was a time with Kirsten when we were, I guess, up in Wisconsin and Kirsten was going through a very rough day and was very confused and I looked around and I saw the Dairy Queen uh, ice cream store and Kirsten loves ice cream and so I said, no, come, let's go and we go over to the Dairy Queen because she was a very confused state of mind at that time and this is how the Spirit uses the five senses to take you higher. So we walked over to the Dairy Queen and we walked in and we were the only two people in the whole Dairy Queen with the red roof and everything and this is a United States franchise with the creamy soft ice cream with all, all kinds of things and the blizzards and all kinds of things where they put all kinds of things on top of it and we walked up and the guy was in his little red shirt and his little red hat and I'm just in the spirit and so when we get up to the front we he looks at us and I said she's from New Zealand she's never in her life been in a Dairy Queen he was all proud and happy. And I said, so show her what you got. He was like all excited. So we've got the blizzards and the dipped cones and we put jimmies on them and all the different hundreds and hundreds of different combinations of what you can do to ice cream. I mean, and he was so happy and so proud to be used to be the one that would convey all this to someone from New Zealand who had never been in a Dairy Queen before. And so he was all puffed up and excited, and I forget what you chose, what particular one you chose, but he poured his whole heart. We were the only two people in there, and he made this amazing ice cream creation, and it shifted everything. He was using the five senses to get out of a very dark, confused place. So. So, there's nothing wrong about any of the five senses. There's nothing wrong about any taste, smell, sight. There's nothing wrong about any word. But the thing is, is the Spirit has to use them in a way that will lift our mind, lift our consciousness higher and higher back, like that song, Love, lift us up to where we belong. And that's how the Spirit uses that. And what happens is, 
even though there's nothing wrong about anything specific, you might say that the ego made the world of specifics, including the five senses, as as a way to block, as like a veil to cover over to blind us from the truth. But the Spirit uses it in such a way that every time we follow the Spirit, it lifts us up and it loosens us from the grip of believing that our identity is locked into those five senses. So, I've had people for many years who, um, I've told stories and parables how people would start to come to me who have had out-of-body experiences or they've had what they call near-death experiences and all these people would come to me and say, what does it mean? What does it mean that I could float above my body and I could see it and smell it and I could perceive it, but I, but I wasn't in it. And I would say, well, think of it. You were in the, you felt you were in the corner of the room, but you were looking down on your body and you could sense it fully. But I would say, was there eyeballs up in the corner of the room? No. Was there ears in the corner of the room? No. Did you have a nose up there? Was a little nose sticking up in the corner of the room? But clearly you sensed, you smelled, you saw, and you heard that body. But who you were was in the corner of the room, and you weren't in that body. Then what does that mean? It must mean that your five senses are not inside your body, that your five senses are part of the mind. And the ego made those up to convince you that you're something that you're not. You're an eternal spirit, but part of this separation has been a belief system in the mind, in consciousness, and the five senses actually are in consciousness. They're only projected to the body. That even what seems to be image-making is projected to the body's eyes, and, and hearing is projected to the body's ears, and smelling is projected to the body's nose, and tasting is projected to the body's tongue. But that's all part of a trick too, that they don't, those five senses don't even reside inside the body. They're just projected onto the body. Then Jesus tells us the body does not feel. Well, that really contradicts every experience we have as a human being. The body does not feel. The mind tells the body what to feel. Hmm. I better get more in touch with this mind then. If the mind is that powerful that it tells the body what to feel, but the body doesn't actually feel, there's a big trick going on here. And Jesus goes on to say in the workbook, the body's eyes do not see, the body's ears do not hear. He comes right out with these striking statements that contradict all of human experience. And yet he's the way shower. He's the master who's transcended the whole trick. And that's why he says, you may not believe these exercises. You may actively, you may resist them. You may actively fight against these workbook exercises. It does not matter. Wow. That's pretty interesting. I've got lessons that it does not matter. Even if I fight against them, even if I resist them, he says, just do them. And in doing them, you will see what they're pointing to. That's why when you come to a mystery school, it's not all just theory and theology and metaphysics. It's actually 
practice. It's actually, oh, jumping into the assignments. It's actually all we're doing is experiencing. We're trusting because our awareness of who we are is so tied into those five senses that we don't really, if somebody told us, if somebody just walked up to us and says, your ears have never heard anything and your eyes have never seen anything, be like, yeah, and you've got marbles missing in your perception. Because we would say, that's ridiculous. That's denying everything that I've experienced as a human being. But when the Master is saying, here, I'm going to give you a text that will give you a context for this because this is so far beyond anything that you've ever experienced. And I'm going to give you workbook lessons that all you have to do is do them. Just do them. Don't even worry about what's happening, the reactions you have. Just do them, and I will show you. Then that's a walk of trust. And that's the way my relationship as Jesus has been. You know, he says, I will give you the instructions. I'm in charge. I will lead. You will follow. And just trust me, and I will take you to a state of mind that doesn't waver. A state of mind that is consistent. Even if you don't believe it's possible, if you'll just trust me. So instead of just reading the Bible and going to Bible studies and talking about things, he's given us a workbook, 365 lessons to actually do. And, and for me, traveling around the country and the world and having things show up, like places to stay and people giving you food and filling your gas tank in your car, I was raised with the Protestant work ethic. No, we did not. My parents were not telling me that, oh, yeah, you just travel around, listen to Jesus, and people will put gas in your car, food in your mouth, places to sleep. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's a fairy tale. Christian families don't believe these things. They, they're studying a theology. Some of them start to develop a faith in Jesus, but the course is like a rapid faith developer that takes you into actual experiences where you feel happy, you feel free, you feel cared for, and and yet Jesus is pretty much using, for most of the journey, it's involving the five senses. The prayer and meditation part comes at the very end, after you've been so fully done through and so full, the senses have been used so fully to free your mind from belief in them, then you go, ah, this is, be still and know that I'm God. Oh, ah, yeah. So we can just enjoy the ride until, yeah. yeah. It, enjoy the ride. It's been an adventure, but, yeah. but it's, it's an enjoyable ride. I, I can't say that it's been a, a very hard and difficult ride. It's actually been a joyful ride. The more I would surrender to the guidance and the more I would allow the spirit to go before me, then it, it's been very joyful. It's not like pulling hair, it's actually, it's quite sweet, actually. I would use the sweet word. Thank you. Hi, David. Hi. Um, this question isn't so much about what you shared today, but it's more about you personally. And we've all been hearing some things, and we wanted, I just wanted to have you tell me what's going on, if you don't mind. I've been hearing that you're stepping back and that you're wanting to spend more time with spirit and that you're um, 
starting some kind of an ascension process. And we've all been like speculating as to what that means. And it, we've probably gotten pretty carried away as a group. And so I would like you to, like, are you going to, you know, leave your body and you're going to be coming over and, you know, like, was it going to be like Jesus or whatever? And so could you, could you, could you just share with us? Because we've been hearing a lot of stuff secondhand. And where's your ring? That's what I want to know, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, even that's gone. It's, things are falling away. I've got my eyes. These eyes, these eyes, not, not so good. Yeah, that's good. You're very observant. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, it's, it, I don't even know where it went, too. It's, oh, good. If somebody said, I'll give you a million dollars if you can produce a ring, I'd, I don't even know where it went. Um, it it does feel more like like that for many these many years I've been used in a very kind of active way. Although uh, that that's not entirely true. I I think back in my journey, even before the course and with the course, where I have kind of gone through these phases where um, things seem to drop drop, drop away from my life, and um, I think maybe I could call them hermitage experiences, where I've been, I would just follow the guidance and go off and be in a little travel trailer in the woods of Kentucky, or in the woods of Michigan, or the woods of Kansas, North Dakota. There's been a number of these different hermitage experiences, and then it kind of looks like stepping away from from typical human communication, um, I, I've had this at the Peace House with, when I was there, seemingly by myself in body, and then Jesus sent in a couple kittens, um, tripod and angel, and we we had a very it was a deep communion experience. We we didn't use a lot of English. Um, tripod didn't wasn't very communicative, but her sister was. <laughs> was meowing and making all kinds of noises and and they didn't they they would let me speak English to them but they you know it was more like we were in a communion experience like they weren't so thrilled with the English and they didn't hold back I didn't hold back but it was total allowance but it was just very very joyful and that's been the way with a lot of the hermitage experiences so it may involve what seems to look like some hermitage experiences, but actually this thing, like we're doing this here, we're all here at the monastery and everything, there may not be as many. That may start to, to drop away, as it has felt that way even for me here now. And yet, um, it's like that Let's Get Digital video that we all did that we were uh, having so much fun with. That still seems to be that there'll be some digital expressions because it's so easy. That's what we were talking about. Lisa was saying, this is, this is a piece of cake, this digital. So it's the physical, the seeming physical stuff, as you all know, <laughs> that there's all these doings and logistics and everything like this and flesh. We go on digital and it fleshes all over the globe. And, you know, that I was saying earlier, I think that's a way where we'll, stay in contact more going that way. Jesus seems to be moving us much more in that direction. 
and yeah, for me, so I, I feel like it's, it's very, uh, still, it, it's not something new for me that I've had these times where I just kind of let go of, take no thought for what I should air, wear or eat or be even. And it's kind of like a, a letting go. And, and it's really delicious and delightful. So, but I can't really forecast, um, much about it. You know, I don't know myself. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were talking about the digital being such a great form of being able to reach so many people, mass yes. all over the world. Yeah. And all right. I guess I'm satisfied now. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's very joyful. Even when there's a lot of seeming stillness and silence, then it's, you know, it's like... We didn't think you'd be paying any penance anywhere, that's for sure. No. No, it's a a joyful expression. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful. I have a little question. It's not what you were telling uh, just now, but Frances uh, told us that every day she came to you in the morning and asked David, would you like to have a shake? And every day you were as pleased as possible, while it's kind of a habit to have it every day, but still you were as happy as if it's for the first time. How did you, how do you do that? <laughs> you know? How do you do it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's this idea of, of, um, everything feeling so new, uh, so brand new. But it's like, there's not a, an association with it. Like, it happens a lot with movies or with shakes, <laughs> movies and shakes. <gasps> Ah, oh, you know, it's like, it's, it's so, such a feeling of newness. And, um, yeah, it's just, I think this idea of repetition is just, um, washed away. So, uh, I, it's really not having, having a plan. Cause any kind of a plan would be based on some kind of past concept or past learning. And, uh, I could sometimes get intuitions and certain feelings for things, and I will share those if they come to me, but but there's, it's not much of that either. So I really don't have much to say about the future because uh, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't really register in my mind. So I'm, it, it's like I'm not really surprised by anything. I can stay in the joy of the moment and the newness of everything, but there's no surprise because I'm not holding on to a, a like a past reference point. And without a past reference point, what could be surprising? It's like everything is equally acceptable. And it's some of the things that led, seem to come into this fall was in the summertime we you know there was a big fire and some of you still see in the evenings like smoke apparently there's eight or nine different 
big fires and then there's smoke patterns and and it's that's even new you know it's like giving the sun all kind of new tints and colors that some of us have been here for since about 2009 so that's what about nine nine years and and yet we're seeing tints and colors and things that we've never seen. That's beautiful out here. Those are like symbols of the newness. Like you, it's not the same canyon. It's now it's got smoke tints on it or whatever, but it's, it's just that feeling of, of things being brand new. And I don't feel, I mean, I've done so much in terms of like doing big conferences and world travels and I don't really have anything in my mind, any thought of that. So I, I don't really know. I can't know what the form will be like, but, but, um, there's some, we have a, like a sense of intimacy, like the spirit brought us together in this kind of quantum way for this deep experience and this deep unwinding. There's a draw to that. Um, there's always like a swirl in my heart, like even when Francis and I have gone to China or, Japan. When we've gone to China, I don't know how many times we've gone, maybe six times or something like that, there's always a depth. It's like people come from out of the woodwork. They come from all over China, not just a, a city or whatever. They come from all over the place. And the far reaches, down from India, over from towards Mongolia, different places, long treks. And then we come together and we have these deep, profound experiences, but it's very quantum, like we were drawn together for a very deep purpose. They don't even see it as like a pilgrimage or whatever. They like, I heard it, I was supposed to be here, I had to take plane rides and trains and all these things, but oh, I'm so happy I'm here. And we get, we get into these deep experiences and the depth is what is drawing us. So I think the depth drew us together and it will continue to be the depth that draws us. You know, the rest of the things of the world seem very superficial, but there seems to be a deep sense of communication and communion and the spirit using the interactions and the words. And to me, that's very miraculous. That's, that's how we go into the kingdom of heaven is through these miraculous, inspired configurations that are just brought about from listening and following. When you all went through all the things you went through, you know, you explained, like with your husband and you went, people have gone into great detail to explain. I had to really step through some things and really feel the conviction to be here. And I think that's part of that, that calling us. There's something, there's a conviction calling us deeper and deeper and deeper in. And I think for all of us, we're, we're content to be used in whatever way that conviction wants. You know, if that presence is calling us, it got us here, so to speak, and it's taking us ever deeper. And, uh, that I can feel. That's, that's what I can feel in my heart. It, it's, as far as on the timeline, I don't really see things as separate events or separate things. I don't have any 
desire to like repeat certain forms of the past too. It's all very new and fresh for me, so I'm not. There's no uh, sense of trying to do something. You know how the world is. It's like, okay, it's January first again. Let's celebrate the new year. What does that even mean? You know, <laughs> I can't. I don't even relate. I've gone with that too. Even I think of all the years where they'd have these big parties and come out and do this and this and and my grandmother Lillian and I would just sit there and have a prayerful quiet night sinking into the presence of love together, often missing the midnight hour. We were so <laughs> lost in just the presence of love, then sometimes she'd go, Oh, it's 120, we missed it again. You know, it's like we couldn't even, we, everybody's talking about a, a ball dropping and all kinds of horns blowing and everything, and we're just, we turn the TV off at 10 o'clock or something and find ourselves, oh, oh well. That was fun, we missed, we missed New Year again, but it was almost like we, we didn't even care about the passage of time. We were in the love and, uh, that's, and you can live your life like that, where you're not caught up into rituals and things of this world, which is just seems to go round and round and round. After a while, it's like, who cares? Who really cares? That's a Chicago song. Time, does anybody really know what time it is? Care, does anybody really care about time? Yeah, it's like, I love these songs. You know, we, we're getting more into that. Chicago song presence where we're not so concerned with the passage of time. It's, it's not relevant. You know, there's something more important to us and that's what's drawing us. And that's what we'll give ourselves over to instead of, Jesus will say that sometimes he goes higher and higher and he says, but what can these words mean to those who still count the minutes and the hours, you know, and the days? He throws that in there, you know, what can this even mean? to those who count the, the minutes and the hours and days. So it's giving yourself permission to be joyful, to have that childlike glee and joy of, well, what's, what's going to show up today? To give yourself the freedom of exploring, of loosening from the timeline and all the seeming obligations, duties, rituals. Oh, what what might my life experiences be if I wasn't so locked in to pursuing, accumulating, defending, you know, all the different things. People develop a genuine draw into the present moment and the general disinterest in politics, disinterest in the news, disinterest in the latest gossip, disinterest in drama. It's a wonderful thing when you start to develop a disinterest in drama. <laughs> People are like, did you hear that? <laughs> no, but who really cares? You know, it's like, you know, it's, you, you don't, you don't have to hold on to opinions. It's so nice to not have an opinion about something. I was on, when was I on? I was on Twitter today and and I was skimming through and I always stay so open-minded to whoever and whatever and... Your light is going on behind you. Yeah. 
The light behind me, it does that. What's going on? This, this happened last year at the mystery school. It just, it's very electrical. <laughs> but I was on Twitter and I was going through them all, and then I saw something, and it was Marianne, Marianne Williamson. And she was tweeting that she was in a hotel room in Charlottesville, and she was looking through the the on-demand movies, and she saw, what is this? It's a, it's a Mr. Rogers movie. The one that we saw, she's in a hotel room in Charlottesville, and she sees this Mr. Rogers movie on-demand. And she's thinking, I think I'm going to watch that. I think I may like that movie. She may like it. She watches the movie, the same movie that all of us watched, and she's on the corner of the bed crying, 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 crying. And she's, she's in such a joy with this movie, Mr. Rogers' movie, that she does something that she says she doesn't normally like to do. Turn on the TV and watch the news. So for her, there's an aversion to turning on the TV and watching the news. But she's in this state after having watched Mr. Rogers' movie that she turns on the TV and she sees all these symbols of people helping people. Which is really what the movie was about, just being simple, in simple helpfulness. And in that state of mind that she saw people helping people with all kinds of a soup kitchen or the floods or whatever, and she just, that was what she saw from that state of mind. That's the world that she saw. She even did something that she doesn't like to do, which is turn on the news. And you see how beautiful, that's, the miracle is in, is involuntary. You know, we just are tuning in to allow our mind to tap into that innocence, to that love, to that simplicity. And when we do, our perception, our five senses are will be used to bring us witnesses of that state of mind. That's how it works. We don't first look outside and react to what is outside. We look within to what we think and believe and feel. And then the, the world is a projected world, is a, is a motion picture or a, a, a perceptual representation of what's going on in our mind. All we're doing at the Mystery School is putting our focus on purifying our mind, our consciousness, so that we may see a different world. We will draw forth witnesses of this love with, through the five senses when we come inside to what is it for, to what is the purpose. So we're just like mighty companions all for one another, helping light up that desire for that love that's inside of us, so that we may see it in the world, reflected. And Jesus says in the Course, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. You see how it's using our perceptions, but those levels of mind rings come all the way down to the core, to the desire, the prayer in the middle. And once we go there, and we really are sincere about wanting only love, seeing only love and gentleness and kindness, then we draw forth witnesses. It's not like there's a real external world, it's just that there are images that can be used by the Holy Spirit to take us in deeper and deeper. 
And when we want only love, we will see nothing else. It's beautiful that that's the way that it works. Thank you. Uh, drawing on that comment, um, I've seen myself uh, calling on witnesses of love and joy and um, laughter uh, in my service and also witnesses of uh, um, conflict and, and grievances uh, during the same day. And um, I can see there like my split mind you know, wanting uh, love and, and, and even looking at it from my right mind, looking at the contrast between the two, uh, like because just as looking at the contrast is like inducing separation, you know, like, and comparing, and that's like ego function, right? But I'm looking at it from my from the right mind, I'm doing it, I have, I'm accepting, I'm doing it. So, beyond a little willingness, um, how... Um, How, in your own words, how do you explain the call to awaken now, even if one, one realizes one is in the split mind like this? Well, as you start to, to see that, I love that teaching in the Course, I am responsible for what I see, I choose the feelings I experience, I decide upon the goal, I would achieve, and everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. That's part of the purification. You know, there's, there starts to be this mindset where you start to, to feel with some happiness and glee, like, I really am not at the mercy of this world. I really am not a victim of anything. You know, it starts off with, wow, if I'm hurt, I'm, I'm just hurting myself. Or, you know, I grab something from the workbook, like I always like that workbook lesson, I can be hurt by nothing but my thoughts. The more you go into that, it's really exciting. I can be hurt by nothing but my thoughts. Hmm, that's good to know, that nothing in this world can hurt me. I can be hurt by nothing but my thoughts. And then you do start to pay a little more closely attention, close attention to those thoughts, because... It's, it's like empowering. It's like saying, oh, well, well, that, look at that. Who would have ever thought that? I could be hurt by nothing but my thoughts. And, and so it, I think it helps you direct the power of your mind, direct the power of your prayer. And you start to really get out of happily this victim kind of perspective and mentality as if there's things that, external things that can hurt me. And then you start to go more and more. Um, that's one of the things that Jason and I explored on his show today is he, he had his last meeting here with the residents and before he, he left. And then he noticed just what you're describing that there was some mixed feelings. He could feel some love in there and some gratitude and appreciation and then some other things were like seeming kind of distractive and so forth. And so he felt, uh, after his last meeting here, he felt a little bit of a mixed emotion. So then he hops in the car, and he has a very prayerful hour and a half drive back to Camus, with starting off with this mixture, and then 
But the prayer underneath is the same prayer that you're asking for. It's like, oh, I want to feel the love. I want to really feel the fullness of the love that's in there. It's a mix, but I know there's some love under there. And then as he gets into this prayerful state, driving back to Camas for an hour and a half, then he starts to get these downloads, like his spirit's talking to him. Download, and it's another download, another download. And so, ooh, oh, that's, ooh, that, that was good. That was a nice trip. Uh, because the prayer was for clarity, illumination to be lifted up. And then when we had our show today for, I don't know, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, whatever it was, he sat at the end of the show and he said, everything we're talking about, everything you said is what I was hearing on my drive back. You see the reflection the words spoken were just reflecting the downloads, but underneath it, it's the prayer of the heart. You know, God knows the prayer of the heart. It's the desire and the wanting to feel the love, the wanting for the clarity, the wanting for that purification. That's the most important thing. That's the power of prayer. And I do feel like just even within the last couple of days when you're kind of getting into functions and 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 can see you kind of joining together and there's a few people holding hands and praying. It's so different to set your mind instead of trying to, like, I'm a human being and I got to figure out what I've got to do during the day to, to actually join together and pray together for a solution, even for little steps. It's, it's like turning the whole mind in a new direction because most of us were not raised with the power of prayer, certainly not praying throughout the day. I mean, with my family, you know, we would have this, we would have one prayer a day and the prayer would come before we would sit down to eat. And it was, it was almost like a ritual. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. Amen. It's like, get it over with. <laughs> we're hungry. We're tired. The food's on the table. Oh yeah, we gotta get the ritual prayer in. God is great. God is good. You know, it's like the prayer was relegated to some quick little ritual that you would say as fast as you could so you could dig in. And we were all like ready to, oh yeah, that's right. We gotta pray. And you see how the prayer was relegated to the back. If it was a bus, it was the back of the bus, the last seat of the bus. And this, what we're doing, is we're turning it around now to prayer is helpful. Prayer is my way to happiness. Prayer is my tuning in to guidance. Even if I don't hear it clearly for myself, I'm going to pray with my brothers and sisters. I want to lead a prayerful life, a life that that has a spaciousness, that is not herky-jerky, all these rituals, time-based, you know, oh, it's time to do this, time to do that, time to eat. Did you take your pills? It's time to take your pills. Time for, oh, it's break time. Oh, it's bedtime. It's time, 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 time-driven, like driven by external rituals. And admittedly, I know there's lots of convents and monasteries, Christian, Buddhist, all kinds, that people are so caught up into this chasing chasing the future life that even the, even the rituals get used by these monasteries and convents to slow down a bit 
like in the Buddhist monasteries, do things with mindfulness, sweep with mindfulness. Don't get caught up too much in the activity. Start to give your mind in a new direction. That's what they do in a Buddhist monastery. They come in with mindfulness. There's still rituals, there's still things to do, but they're just refocusing the mind on the mindfulness instead of on the doing. And that's what we're doing with this flip here. There's, there's a design to these functions. It's to, to pray and to become mindful and, and to go inside and, and to take your mind away from all those thoughts and everything and to just come more and more into simplicity. So I, I do feel like that's the key thing. There's, it's the purification that's occurring in the consciousness because you want it. Because you want it. You have a prayer that's saying, I, I want a different way to look at this world. I want a different way to, to move through this world. I want a new kind of experience and call it whatever you want, but it's more like a, having, living life in a prayerful attitude where you're not just herky jerky jumping from one scene to the next to get one over so you can get and do the next one and do the next one. It's no wonder if people who, who do it that old way feel like they're just a, a shadow dancing in the wind, you know, like they don't really feel a sense of purpose. They don't feel a sense of connection. They just feel like get it over with, get it done, fall asleep and then repeat the same craziness another day. No wonder people could want to commit suicide. They, they don't have a feeling of purpose and, and connectedness. We're just trying to bring it around through these open expressions, through these sessions, through this mindfulness, through this prayerful way of function of turning our mind to a new habit, a good habit of being connected and being prayerful. And that really opens you up to the guidance. I mean, I, I have to feel like, Without guidance, what would be the purpose of doing anything? I mean, my feeling was, well, if I'm not going to be guided, if I'm not going to feel connected and, and feel joyful, what's the purpose of getting out of bed? What's the purpose of doing anything? It, 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 without a purpose, nothing seems to have any meaning at all. It just is like a pointless repetition of images that that it just it would be heartbreaking it's depressing it's it's boring just to keep repeating over and over so we're here to join together to have that purpose get ignited in us that we may start to really tune in to that guidance and live according to guidance and that answers your question what is it for there was Bill Thetford was an amazing psychologist, re really renowned in his field, developed a personality uh, test along with Helen, and they, he did some amazing things. But his mind was, like many human beings, he was so distracted that finally Jesus said, Here, Helen, I'm going to give Bill a prayer, and I want you to give this to Bill and have him use it. And it was a four-word prayer for this eminent psychologist. He gave him four words to help steady his mind. And the four words that he gave to Bill were, Here I am, Lord. 
That's it. You see, what a beautiful prayer for a mind that was very complex and distracted. Here I am, Lord. And I've seen people that that I've known and met over the years that sometimes don't even have words. I met one guy one time, I kept seeing him at, at this conference, and I would see him, his eyes would close, and I could see that he was like praying, and then he would take his fingers like this, and he would make a little circle, and I would just see him silently going like this, and and I thought, there it is. He's. I bet he doesn't even have words. <laughs> I bet he doesn't even have four words. He just brings his fingers softly together to make this little circle, and then he just goes right into the presence just through that little movement. And the simpler the better, you know, for us to remind ourselves, oh yeah, prayerful, purposeful, what is the purpose? It it starts to slow our mind down. It starts to simplify everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It just is the reminder that we can do this. And that you can carry with you. I mean, I could see him just practicing, practicing, and it was, you know, it warmed my heart to see him. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, David. Hi there. As you were talking about prayer, it came into my mind that, gosh, I was probably, let's see, 20 years old, and I got into this organization called The Way Ministry, and we all learned how to speak in tongues. And that was the big part of the ministry, and we were taught that that was perfect prayer and praise to God. So I don't speak in tongues much. I sing in tongues because I don't know the words to songs. So if I'm listening to something and I know the words, I'll just sing it in tongues. What is speaking in tongues? Well, it, if it's used for the purpose of, of prayer, it is, it is a, a method. It is a way of, of, of aligning the mind. I mean, I, I remember when I was in university, I was so open minded and I was like, okay, Show me, use me, whatever. I remember there's a time when the Spirit took me around to all these many, many different churches, synagogues, temples, just taking me on a tour of all these things. And then he had me go repeatedly to this uh, Pentecostal church that was not too far from the University of Cincinnati. And I would get in and go, oh, and there they would go on this. And I was like, okay, what's the meaning of this? I said, they really seem to be into this. They're really enjoying this speaking in the tongues. And Jesus was like, yeah, you can just go into the vibe, the presence. That's, that's another way, almost like the Buddhists have their mindfulness. This is the way that the Pentecostals go into, to this sense of gratitude and love. Because it's very involuntary. They get into it, and it's their way of getting into this involuntary sense of the miracle. And then the, the, the minister, um, Clyde, uh, he would give the interpretations of the tongues, which for a lot of people, they were, because all they knew is it felt good. And he would use it as an opportunity to deliver the messages. So he would get in, he would join in, you know, oh, they'd be speaking in tongues, the whole group, and I'm like looking around and, they, well, these are really the holy rollers here. I've discovered the holy roll. And they're all excited. And then Clyde would give these, they were oftentimes scriptural, um, it was just his way of delivering scripture, 
whether we're all in this sense of openness and and involved like there's no control over the tongues <laughs> and that was a good thing so i i think um you know it's like jesus says miracles should never be spectacles to induce belief so it's the motive of the tongues that's important if if a church gets into speaking in tongues and they think they're going to impress uh people who come to visit the church and maybe get some converts, that's not the motive for tongues. You see, that would be an egoic motive to try to bring about an outcome of a bigger congregation. But if it's just used in a prayerful way of surrender, of letting go of of control of the words and the sounds, um, it it has a quality of, of giving yourself over. And I don't think that's any different than when people do Tai Chi or they get into the movements and they totally want to let go of think of controlling their body. They just want to get into the rhythm and the flow of being done through. I think that's the way, that's the way it can be used in a helpful way. Like being spoken through in a way that feels like you're connecting with spirit, you know, without control. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> hi, David. <laughs> so I feel nervous asking this question. I have this belief that prayer is really intimate. And so I feel like maybe this question might be too intimate. Um, so I'm wondering if you would be open to sharing your experience of in those moments of quiet, what does, what do your prayers sound like? What does it feel like to be in communion with God when you're in those hermitages? Well, for me, I remember when I, one time when I was opening up the psychotherapy purpose practice and then reading the little pamphlet years ago called the Song of Prayer that Jesus dictated. And then when I read through the Song of Prayer, I I was reading through it and I was thinking, I've seen some of this before. I've seen these words, these ideas before when I was reading Jesus' Song of Prayer, which, of course, Ken, and Hel Ken had asked Helen, can Jesus tell us more on prayer? And then the Song of Prayer came. Because he said, "There's more than getting green pantyhose," and you know, he was he was watching how Helen was using prayer, and he said, "There got to be something more than this these Borgana coats and and green pantyhose," and so that came. And then when I was reading the Song of Prayer, I was thinking, "I know I've seen this before," and it was from Mary Baker Eddy's Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, which she was talking about prayer, was saying the same things that Jesus was saying about prayer that your prayer is your desire and that that the, the greatest prayers the secret he says in there the secret of true prayer is to forget the things you think you need well that one sentence right there just sets me off when i hear jesus saying that sentence the secret of true prayer if i'm going to pray i want true prayer I don't want false prayer. <laughs> the secret of true prayer is to forget the things you think you need. It's like you give, you're giving over all your conditioning about lack. You're giving up all your conditionings about the desires for things of this world. 
your desires for outcomes, your fantasies, your future imaginings. The secret of true prayer is to forget the things you think you need. Forget. So you're asking me to to go into a very deep state of forgetfulness. <laughs> is that it? And he's like, yes, that's it. That's that's what I want you to do. But it's it's a forgetfulness of this world. So you're asking me when I pray to forget this world. Yeah, that's it. If you're going to remember God, you're going to have to forget this world. It's almost like the two go together, almost like in, in an eclipse. You, there's, there's these two components. To forget the world is the way to remember God. And, and in one sense, in terms of prayer, it's very different from the prayers I grew up with and the prayers I, it's different from the secret. It's different from all the law of attraction. It's basically sounding almost very Buddhist, like empty your mind in order to come into this holiness, in, in order to come into this sense of fulfillment. So, to me, that's what the hermitages were, was um, when I would go into a hermitage, it was very much of a sense of of forgetting about the day, forgetting any kind of my goals or pursuits of the day. Um, it was... I mean, some of the hermitages just seemed to be David alone, but even when the cats were involved, the cats want to play. You know, they they were not interested in goals. It was like, play now. Feed me now. Open the door now to let me out. You know, it was very much focused on now. But what we were not sitting around having morning meetings and uh, planning the day. They were not interested in that. They were not interested in any kind of communications about the world or the future or anything like this. So I was, I felt like I was joining them, sinking in deeper into that playful experience. Is it possible to play all through the day? Yeah, they were like, yeah, like. Don't you know this? You know, and so it was an invitation to, to go beyond like the thoughts and concerns of the world and taking care of things and so on and so forth. I found it, those hermitage experiences were, were very spacious because the secret of true prayer is to forget the things you think you need. Very much like the I need do nothing section in the course. He's, you know, he's saying, just do this one thing for me, just this one thing, and really mean it. I need do nothing. That, that's the one, that's the one thing you want from me is to do nothing. He's saying, you, I want you to make a space where, where the thoughts and the demands of the body, um, you forget them. You actually forget about needs. You forget about the future. You forget about the past. And that's a way to approach God. And, and for many people that, you know, the ego will come right up and say, that's unrealistic. That's, no, he's not, 
No, it can't be. Nah, Jesus would never. But actually, um, that's the core behind monasteries. I think that's the core behind very prayerful devotional living. I mean, there are a lot of monasteries and convents that are actually cloistered where they don't speak at all. Uh, and they don't have any contact with what would seem to be the outside world. I don't know that, that there's anything special to that form, but, but I certainly can feel the prayer that's underneath that is, is to allow yourself that stillness and allow yourself more than just stillness. It's, it's really the sense of, uh, of letting go of all thoughts of concern for the world, concern for anything. It's like you're, you're really giving yourself permission to forget the world. You can only imagine if you, as a child, you know, you said to your parents, and they said, what are you going to do with your life? And you said, forget the world. And they'd say, what do you mean? I'm going to forget the world. It's my mission. I'm, I'm going to forget the world. What about school? Yep, I'm going to forget that too. Grades? Yep. Future goals, ambitions? Forgetting those too. You know, it, it sounds almost like a comedy skit from Saturday Night Live or something, but there's actually something to it in the sense that the world was made as a distractive device to keep the mind from be still and know that I'm God. The calling is to go into I amness. Of course. Because everything's about what? Identity. And what is our identity? I amness. Prior to time. So time is the overlay that was made by the ego to cover up I am. And that's why to the extent that you can give yourself over to, to forgetting the world, actually forgetting the world, then I would say then the spirit will use in a very involuntary way. It will, at first it will give you back the world, but it's not a world that, that you control. It's a world that is, you have no control over. You're a watcher. Like a Chauncey Gardner, I like to watch. He says, you know, Eve, I like to watch. <laughs> She's just, she thinks he's like some kind of a voyeur or something like, okay, everyone has their sexual patterns. You like to watch. So she right away goes and, you know, she tries to interpret it, but, but from a much deeper perspective, I like to watch is more of just, that's that I amness that's not trying to control the world, trying to make something of the world, trying to figure out the world, trying to make the world different even. It's, to just watch is different than trying to change it, you know. Even with movies, sometimes when people watch movies in the theater, they will talk back to the screen. Don't go down there. Don't go in there. You know, you see how the ego really thinks, even in a movie theater, you're watching a movie and the ego forgets that it's a movie and starts to try to bark out instructions to the screen. That's absurd. But yet, when we are trying to control people, change people, fix people, fix situations, that's what our conditioning was, right? That's why we went to school to learn how to be good judges and to learn how to use our judgments in helpful ways. 
But that's not what the Beatitudes, Jesus said, judge not. Jesus said in the, in the Gospel of Thomas, be passers-by. Oh, that is not fitting in well with our college universities. There's no college I've ever been to that started off with, welcome everyone, we're going to teach you to be a passers-by of the world. We pay your tuition, we'll teach you how to pass this world by. Uh, can I ask a question? How do you do that? How do we be passerby? Judge not. Is there anything more? No, that's it. That's it. So that's my whole curriculum. This is a five-year program. Judge not. Please, I don't understand. You have to give me more than be passersby and judge not. Give me something that I can really use. Forget this world. Three words <laughs> instead of two. And then, okay, cut the jokes. This is, I'm, seriously, what is this about? Forget this world. Lesson 189 from A Course in Miracles. Simply do this. Be still. Lay aside all thoughts of this world. You know, it goes through, hold on to nothing. Do not bring with you one thought to pass this thought, nor one belief you've ever learned before from anything. Forget this world. Forget this course and come with holy, empty hands unto your God. Now, if you were going to university, that's what you would want to hear. Because that would be a gateway to the truth. It wouldn't be a bunch of false lies and false promises of, of having ambition that really leads nowhere. Like a cat chasing its tail, you know. Why would you spend all that money on tuition just to chase your tail around and around? In my case, it took 10 years. But for some people, they just go, wait a minute, what's this for? You know, you have to come to that point where you allow your mind that stillness. There's something gleeful about forget this world. There actually is something gleeful about it. Because to think of all the heartache and struggle and challenge and concern that we've had trying to learn this world. Jesus says, you never paused to even ask why you were doing this. You just kept over-learning, much ado about nothing, over-learning and going, returning it back and forth and continuing to do that as if you had some kind of future goal that you were going to achieve. But that's just taken you off into oblivion. You've over-learned nothingness to the point now that you feel you're in, in oblivion. He does at one point describe this world as an impossible situation. Why would you put so much effort into learning an impossible situation, something that God did not create, something that was made in hate as a trap. Why would you put so much energy into learning something that was a trap? He's like saying, perhaps we can unlearn this together and sink inward back into this atonement, this correction, instead of going off in that direction. So people talk about this being a monastery and a community. You know, we're all just here for guidance. That's all we're praying for every moment of every day is just guidance. Because that guidance will free the mind, like in the, in the matrix, you know. 
where Mor Morpheus says, I'm trying to free your mind. He tells it to Neo straight. That's what this is all about. Free your mind. The, whatever you're doing is not the important thing, but it's, it's tuning into that prayer, tuning into that guidance, tuning into that guidance that will set your mind free. That is what this is all about. That's really the purpose. The form of it is, is not important. You know, so there's a monastery, you know, if things get cleaned and fixed or whatever, I've watched this place for all these years. Sometimes it's dirty, sometimes it gets clean, sometimes it's breaking apart and rotting, sometimes it's fixed up. It's not really about maintaining anything in form. Even in terms of the community, it's the community is the state of mind. We're not trying to get bigger. We have no goal to get bigger or smaller. It's like an accordion. It gets, we have a few people. We're in Cincinnati. We're in Cincinnati. We're walking down the street on Station Avenue and they're going, this is great. We're so happy. We love it here. We're never going to leave. And then Utah, Utah. We're so happy right now here in Cincinnati. Why would we go to Utah of all places? Then we get out here and it's a desert. You know, it's just, you, it's, it, you can't figure it out from the form because it would be ridiculous. And then we've had small community and then it grows bigger and bigger and bigger and then it starts to shrink. It's like one of those balloons that you can blow up. It expands. It contracts. It doesn't matter. It's never about a community in form. It's never about the size of anything. It's never about maintaining something. If we're being called to forget the world, why would we try to make something bigger or better or different? What would be the point of trying to make a bigger illusion or a better illusion or a different illusion? You start to see there's a, there's a disillusionment where you start to realize that this thing in your mind that's been driving you, pushing you, forcing you, achieve, accumulate, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. No, it's not. It's the same old, same old. <laughs> At some point, you, you're not buying the bait <laughs> that the form's gonna get better, you know. It's, oh yeah. I think I've done this before, probably for millennium. I don't think it's getting any better in form. I think I need to pray. I think there's another solution. I think I need to be still. That's where patience comes and stillness, not from outcomes of the world. So, that's that's good when you start to have that realization. You're like, wow, it's really not about trying to make something better. And neither is it about maintaining a personality self where you're accepted or accepted by certain people. So much of religion and theology is like still trying to defer, trying to people-please, trying to be liked. He talked about that in Lesson 50. You know, I'm sustained by the love of God. A couple of the things that he throws in there, he says, you believe you're sustained by everything but the love of God. He, knowing the right people. Being liked. Being liked? You mean being liked is of the ego? Yes. Wow. Well. You know, the ego. <laughs> being liked, knowing the right people. It, you see where it's about going back into that state of mind where you forget the world. That, that lesson completely dovetails with forget this world. 
that lesson is perfect for that. You don't get any spiritual brownie points for, I can levitate. Who cares? <laughs> I can astral project. Who cares? I've had seven out-of-body experiences. Who cares? Three revelations. Who cares? You know, it's, there's no kind of spiritual self-concept that you get any bounty points for. Because why? The point is to forget the world and remember yourself as the Christ. Well, that I amness is going to keep calling until you accept it. You know, it's, it's not going away. The I amness is like, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Just please remember me. Forget everything else. Remember me. Forget the world. Remember me. That's the, that's that nudge in our heart that won't go away. Thank goodness. Thank heaven. I amness is, is making the call. Because I amness is not the ego. It's everything. Yes. Hi, David. Um, I'm just trying to think of how to formulate the question. And um, um, for me, your teachings have been so helpful. You know, I've read the book. I've um, been studying a lot of Ken Wapnick's um, materials and helpful too, though uh found it really difficult to listen to some of it. Um, and um i don't know if it's his voice or just his style or or what but you know i've i've wondered um when the course came through it seems to be that there are some some changes making it easier for people to understand it more deeply with with Gary Renald's book, with the teachings that you're putting out and i know that the teachings are for ourselves and it's all about um, healing our own mind. And it's not about saving anybody else. And yet it's through extension that you become more um, alive with these teachings and that you also help your brother. And, um, and I know that a lot of your ministry is about extending and extending. And, um, and I'm wondering, uh, what your understanding is. Um, I've seen it, you know, going into prisons. It's been really helpful for people there. Um, is there a place, um, in Jesus' plan for this to also reach the young people, teenagers, eventually? Or does there need to be a level of maturity? And, um, because there seems to be some evolution in the course's development and, and how it's being extended out there and to whom. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Yep. If you, if you were like a little, uh, bird sitting in on some of our meetings over these last, um, few months, that's, that's one of the things you would heard. We've, we've all been talking about how, that it has to do with the readiness in the mind and it has to do with a certain um, 
level of disillusionment with the world. And I've actually done a lot of traveling around the world, and and a friend of mine from uh, from Brazil. I've been down to Brazil a few times, I think, and and he he and another friend started these meditation groups down there, and they usually were attended by people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Hardly ever a, a teenager would come to these meditation groups. And Brazil is a great pulse of the world. It's it's very deep spiritually in terms of the calling there. Not so much organized religion, but deep penetrating spirituality. It's a very strong call there. They have these houses that just spring up that are devoted to spirit that aren't really tied into organized religion in any way. But recently I talked to my friend Luis and he said pretty much 70, 80, 90% of these groups that they started are now with teenagers. The teenagers have flooded in there. They have are reaching, it's almost like they're just symbolic of this world isn't it and there has to be another way. It's like a outcry. So we actually starting down in Mexico and and coming up here we we've had discussions about de developing new websites about coming up with new lingo looking at at the millennials and looking at the language that they use in their text messages and the way that they communicate you know when they t talk about somebody we may say that person in the older way we would say they're very inspired or they're very tuned in or they're very devoted to God or everything. They have a word. It's only three three letters for somebody like that, and it's that they're lit. When they're lit, that's what they're talking about. They're like tuned in to spirit. And so we're, we're looking into new wording, looking into different ways of building websites. We've actually even... Um, We've tapped a friend of ours from Brazil was behind this um, this this website that grew all over the world called Vice that basically realized that people younger people didn't want their news in the same way that it had been going on for decades and so they came up with new websites and new ways to, to reach the people. They were much more integrated, much more connected, and reporting the news in ways that was intriguing to them. It was more to the user, to the one who was looking for it. They didn't want typical news. They would rather hear about, um, like with Hamas or with some of these groups in the Middle East, they would rather have a reporter go there and interview the people instead of, these are the bad guys, go inside and talk Talk to the people. Find out what's in their minds, what's in their hearts, what's actually going on on the ground. So we have we are in the middle right now of of restructuring the things. We're going to leave the, you know, I I use the pathway of a course in miracles, so I did videos and speakers, and that's just been my joy. But but now we're starting to take a look at it all different kinds of ways of extending this, of sharing this, that reach those who are feeling lost, the ones that are feeling most confused, the ones that maybe have even tried drugs and many different kinds of escapism and are reaching a real core disillusionment um, that, that they're coming close to saying, 
I, what's the what's the answer? Is it suicide? Is there is there an answer? Is there a, is there meaning? They're reaching reaching a point of meaninglessness that don't know of the Course in Miracles, that don't know of the mind training of the Course, um, that may even be quite turned off if they even heard the word Christian, or they heard the word um, school, or they, you know, there's certain key words now that they they their mind like shuts off, and there has to be a way to reach them in a new way. And that's what we're um, praying for, we're looking for right now. That's that's it. Because um, there's something I've been feeling, and I haven't really understood it, and but it it feels almost like a calling, but I don't know how or 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 what. And um, and was wondering if that was something that you were getting as well. And and um, um, but definitely there's a need, and there's it's. They're at a completely different level, you know, and how they communicate and, and so on. Um, it's interesting because when I went to Taiwan and I had never imagined the pull there was the same as the pull here. And, um, it wasn't my intent to stay. And, um, um, I was in meditation one time. I thought I was leaving and I was, Surrounded, it was it was so real. All of these young children, who were like very wise Buddhas, so much more advanced, and you know, asking me to stay to help, um, and um, and you know, I could almost touch every one of them that was around me. It was just uh, in meditation, and I could feel there's something there, but I, I don't understand. And it's, you know, I can see the call even in Taiwan, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So thank you for that, because I've been feeling that, but I feel kind of embarrassed even asking, because I know that the course is for ourself. And yet I also know that it's important to continue to extend, um, and in that, we also are helping ourselves and helping our brothers. So it's beautiful to hear. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful thing about how the Spirit uses this world, that even there are young people that that are becoming so advanced, I'll say, in technology, and yet when they go higher and higher and higher in their technological advancement, they start to ask, what is it for? They they push it as far as they can. They get so high that they get way above almost everyone else. And then now they've been to the best schools. They're at the top of their class. They they can do things in a natural way that most people couldn't even conceive of. And yet, when they get to that point, they start to say, what is it for? Because they know they can get hired by the corporations of the world without a, without a problem at all. They know they can make a lot of money, but they don't know what they would spend the money on. Like they look around, they go, they see people in big houses with lots of stuff that are depressed and sad and suicidal, and they go, hmm, that's not really wor-. So even if I could make the money, what would I do with the money then? 
And there was one article where um, Francis gave to me, and it was like these these super wonder kids that were graduating from the highest tech schools. They could they basically had their choice of any job that they wanted in the world. And they were turning down the whole idea of working for a company. And they ended up, a whole group of them, at a very renowned monastery in China. So you get these top tech wonders all there discovering, almost like we have an expression session, how'd you get here? Well, I graduated from this and this. What, do you know that? You know this? You know coding? You know program? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they discovered themselves in this monastery in their expression sessions. And so they decided that they still the question was, what is it all for? So they started using their technological things to try to upgrade the monastery. They were using, you know, like hotels have little electronic keys. They started to simplify the thing by having getting into such high tech that people who would come to stay at the monastery could use the the magnetic code and all the things. They were using the advancements of technology to make the monastery more simple, more intuitive, and why? To make more time for meditation. They started using their high-tech minds to turn this secluded <laughs> monastery outside of Beijing into this tech, tech wonder. But still, that wasn't enough because they still have the questions. So they decided... They would join together and come up with new ideas, whether it was robotics, whether it was websites, using all their tech skills to bring about release and escape of imprisonment in the mind. See, so that to me, when I read that article, I thought, there it is. They, it's not so much trying to get the technology for technology's sake, because what does that even mean? What, do all the advancements in technology even mean? What good is, is a, is a smartphone if you don't have a purpose? Now, that's what I use. How many apps does David have? Page one, two, three, four, five, six, Seven. They call me a tech mystic. Eight. Nine. And it goes on. Now, it's for extension. Before Steve Jobs passed away, he said apps will take over. That's He, he passed away, but he knew it was coming. He was tuned in. The inventor of the iPod, many... <laughs> many years ago, and iPhones and tablets and so on and so forth. He said, before he passed away, he said, it's going to be apps. Because what? Apps just help you do something faster. And apps, what do they do for you? If you know how to use them, they what? Save time. What does Jesus says the purpose of the course is? To save time. All these these. These tech wizards, wonder children that come find themselves interesting enough at a monastery with all that education that they could have jobs and earn hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. They're not interested in earning the millions of dollars. They go to a monastery because they need a purpose. 
because they don't know what the purpose of life is, what the purpose of the world. They've already outgrown the old way because they see that just leads to suicide and boredom. So this is just an example of technology being used in a way where if I want to read a tweet by Marianne, I go on to my Twitter account. If I want to search something at Google, put something on Google+, Plus, fly somewhere with Delta. I have actually, for somebody who's, who's going into the silence, I've got a whole page of airline apps. Hotel.com, da-da-da-da-da. All it is is, here I am, Lord. It's the prayer that Jesus gave to Bill Thetford, here I am, Lord. And to be able to just respond to the guidance in a very quick, simple, direct way that is very simple. Instead of going through a hundred steps, maybe you can cut it down to two steps. That's what those kids were doing at the monastery. They were just looking, how can we be truly helpful? With all this technology that we've learned, how can we put this to good use for all of the human race? That's really what they're wanting to do. They're actually coming into that that question of purpose. What is it for? With some students, and uh, you know, primarily the reason I'm there is to is to teach English, and you know, this one particular um, student who had a great deal of difficulty learning. Um, I won't go into how I helped him, but it made a big difference for him. But we talk about English, he'd almost go to sleep reading a page. We talk about spirituality, psychology, any of that. His eyes are just so big, and he gets it so deep, so deep. And I said, you know, and he he feels a call to help the people, and um, the young people, And but his mom wants him to be a business person. He wants to go for psychology and spirituality. So I see it. I see it there. And, um, but the, you know, for them to pick up the course, that would be so difficult. But I do feel the need. So it's, it's beautiful to hear you say that you're going in that direction. I think it's incredible. I think it's, there's a need. Yeah, I think so. that's, that's where we start to really think outside the box, where you just start to, to just be in that prayer of how can I be helpful? And then it can take you in ways that are extremely helpful, but in ways that you would not have imagined. Yeah. That you, yeah. if you had just sat down and tried to write this out, you would have said, Oh, I would have never have thought of that. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, um, I think it was last year, um, last year or the year before we, we started thinking about apps and about spiritual apps and so on and so forth. And then, um, Jeffrey and Jason and Laverne went to this high tech cutting edge conference called South by Southwest. Mm. And then they go in there and they're just bouncing around to all these different uh, meeting people, bouncing around all these different seminars that are being done. And then, um, I think it was that they got into this thing called bots, which they were like bots, short for robots, uh-huh. but bots, internet, Facebook. This was the beginning of our Spiri, your spiritual assistant bot was South by Southwest. They were just mm-hmm. there in the joy, wanting to connect. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. It went in that direction. They also met 
a lot of people, one time they were like, bots, bots, what is this bots? And they met this person. They said, well, come to our presentation. What's your bot? Jesus bot. <laughs> so here they're t guided to go watch this presentation on Jesus bot. And then they're hanging out with a lot of the people. They're all these app developers they meet sitting around. And then as soon as they begin talking about the topic, everybody's, what's your bot do? What's your bot do? What's your bot? When they came around to ask about, well, what is the bot that you're thinking to develop? Spiritual awakening. What? The whole rest of the lunch, forget everybody else's bots. The idea is, was interjected of spiritual awakening with a bot, and they all were fascinated. They didn't want to talk about their own bots anymore. They didn't want to talk about what they were doing there. They had all this curiosity, like a groundswell of curiosity that came up just from a group of app developers and mentioning spiritual awakening. There's a hunger. There's a thirst. Yeah. Everybody, no matter what they're doing on the surface, underneath is calling out for meaning. It's calling out for purpose. They don't want to just go through methodically these rituals and then grow old and sick and die and who knows the purpose. You know, they know there has to be something more than what meets the eye. And they're so hungry and thirsty for that. To me, that's what the the inroad. That's what this is going to be about. But we're we're going to get into areas. Uh, Slava was telling me the other day, a few days ago. She said, "You know, things are not going to look the, the way they look now. Things are going. To, you know how things can go in an exponential rate. There's going to be changes, seeming changes, but they're all going to come about from following the purpose in your heart. Yeah. They're not going to come about from looking to solve something in form." That's the old way, you know, okay, let's try to solve world hunger. Okay, who do we got? Who's going to donate? You see, it's a perceptual problem. It's a hallucination. We are not going to be able to solve the hallucination inside this hallucination. It has to be getting to the root ego in the mind that's projecting the meaningless hallucination. That's where the solution comes. It comes from the silence. It comes from forgetting the world. It seems crazy to think that you could put your attention on forgetting the world. Imagine having that as an affirmation. Imagine what the affirmation people would think. Oh, God, we got a live one here. We got to forget the world. But actually, <laughs> really, when you look at it, metaphysically, that's what be passers-by. That's what Judge Knott was about. It wasn't about putting your effort into solving something in on the screen. It was about going inside and getting underneath. Why do we all like The Wizard of Oz? Why were we so happy when Toto pulled back the curtain and the wizard said, pay, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain? That was the ego saying, draw draw your attention back onto this big face on the screen. Don't let this dog <laughs> send you in a new direction. But in the end, the wizard had to do his expression session. The wizard had to come clean. The wizard wasn't happy. It was all a projection. That's why we like that movie. 
There was a that was a parable for all of us. It's time to wake up. It's time to pull the pull the curtain back. Pull the curtain on private thoughts. Hmm, we've been stuffing them and repressing them for a millennium. It's time to pull the curtain and let them up. Let them out. Thank you. Thanks. Do you think that uh, the, the Great Awakening is happening now because people are finding are so uh, unimpressed and so um, just feeling so unfulfilled with technology and everything going, you know, higher and higher? And people are just like a hundred years ago, there was still family and there was still simplicity, but now it's getting to the point where people are really like, like you said, what's it all for? And is that why so many people are turning? to something more at this time, more than a hundred years ago, that you, do you think this is like the great awakening is happening now globally? You see that. I, I think it is, but it's a celestial speed up because <clears throat> people are aware now when people, somebody says paradigm shift years ago, people would be like, what is, get your head out of the sand. Now, Paradigm shift means we need a, a shift of perspective. There has to be a shift of fundamental values. Yeah, from hate to love. Yeah, people have been singing about it, talking about it. Now I think there's an awareness, like, like with the way things seem to be going globally, people are, are still there's something, oh, we need a political solution, da da da. There's others that are like, it's getting so wacky and so crazy that they're starting to abandon the idea that political change will make a real change, that environmental change will make a real change. It's almost like everything's conspiring through the celestial speed up to, to drive, drive it back into the mind, to take responsibility. Uh, there was a, a president, I, I saw they were ranking the greatest United States presidents, uh, and from top to bottom. And, uh, and the president that came in number one by far, hands down, was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, the rest were all down there, but Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln always had these great one-liners. One of Abraham, this is a president of the United States that actually said, a man is as happy as he makes his mind up to be. That came out of a president. <laughs> Coming out of the Buddha, you might expect it. Or out of Jesus. But that came out of a United States president who also set the captives, set the slaves free, thought there was something wrong with slavery. Duh! What do you know? A president that thought there was something, let's free the slaves. Hmm, good idea. He had a lot of good ideas. And what, what was he? He was a man of what? Prayer. He prayed and prayed and prayed, and that was his decision-making, was prayer. He, You know, it's all documented, you know. Now, to me, that's a clue. <laughs> that's a clue to, to this shift, this paradigm shift, is even the most 
top-rated president was one who relied on prayer and said a man is as happy as he makes his mind up to be. He had a lot of other great lines, too. So I do feel like if you bring it all the way back to one mind, though, it still comes back to, Lord, make me an instrument. It still comes back to, okay, you know, thy will be done. It still comes back to, here I am, Lord, right here, right now, this moment. How can I be of greatest service to everyone, not just a personality self? I'm going to quit looking out for what makes this person better, and I'm going to say what will serve the whole. And that that is powerful when you use your mind in that way. That's That's the way I feel my life has gone, where it got to a point where it was like, People said, oh, you just toss aside career and you toss aside all these pursuits and all these future goals. You toss aside ambition. You know, that was just, for me, the beginning of unleashing the power of prayer, of how can I be truly helpful. Even this series that I just watched, uh, The Iron Fist, you know, the main character is so great. He His plane, the plane goes down in the Himalayas, his father's killed, his mother's killed, he's adopted, and the, the monks are there, the warrior monks to take him out, and he he develops things like compassion and what will serve the whole, and mind discipline, and he has to go through all these different things in the monastery, growing up as a 12-year-old and everything through, comes back to New York City, talk about a fish out of water, the people, his, people in New York City, they think he's a homeless guy, Walking around, he's with New York City, and he's at bare feet and curly hair, and walking around. And everywhere he goes, even though he's he's a shareholder of a of a multi billion dollar company by by his lineage and by his family and all these other things, it's a good tale of how the spirit can use all the form of all these things and coming through like a monk's life and into. New York City, and the contrast is extreme. But that's part of the teaching value of the whole series. That's why I enjoyed it, was he was just, he was always so compassionate, always looking for a way to join, way to connect. Even when people would throw him into a psychiatric institute and drug him up, he was still doing his prayers and his movements and coming back to his chi and not getting caught up in anything of this world, and and that really carried him forward. But all of us can do that. All of us have the power of prayer. We can't be, we are not locked in by our past. We are not locked in by our environment, by family. Those were constructs and beliefs that we believed in, and we felt guilty, and we felt limited and constrained by those concepts and beliefs. But now it's time to cast them off. Almost like wearing a cloak that you don't need to wear anymore. You just cast it off. And then you say, okay, now here I am, Lord. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve the whole. It is accelerated. It, it, there is a strong call. You can see it everywhere. It's Some of the stuff I see, it's just wacky, crazy stuff that's really a call call for us to really get into our function. Um. What 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 was it that you said in only one sentence that when you want only love, 
You will see nothing else. You will see nothing else. Thank you. Go right down. That could be the one sentence that changes everything in your life, and you don't want to forget it. <laughs> yeah. When you want to only love, you will see nothing else. That's a very... That brings the wanting, the prayer, the desire, and the perception. You will see nothing else. You will not have any conflicting witnesses when you want only love. Yeah. David, this might sound like it's jumping to the end, but um, would it be possible for you to describe, however simply, like that direct communication with God? Is that possible? Well, direct communication is, is as Jesus says, it's revelatory, and it's, it, it can't be put into words. But that's why he tells us that, that our focus is really on miracles, because he says miracles are interpersonal. Miracles are what you're experiencing here when you have those breakthroughs and you feel connected with all of your brothers and sisters, where you feel like you're all in collaboration, you're all in harmony, you're all in fellowship. Even that, it's, you throw words at it, but, but direct, you said direct connection with God. That's just, those are revelatory experiences and it's just, that's where you actually see what forget the world means. You, it's a blazing light. It's a, not of this world, not sunlight or fluorescent light. It's just everything is light. And it's, that's like a glimpse of, of what our reality is. But there's no, it's not really perceptual. So, and words are part of perception. So you can't really, um, convey that or describe that at all. <laughs> nice, try. <Anyway. laughs> nice try. Nice <laughs> try. That's like Jesus telling us all, nice try. <laughs> it goes against that idea that things can be conveyed in words. Because it's pretty crude, the words part, you know, the direct experience is way beyond. Hi, David. Hi there. Um, yeah, just the comment that you just made about, you know, casting, casting everything off, family, everything. And, um, and Rita asked you, um, earlier on about your ring. So, um, those two things have prompted me just to bring up something that creates a bit of fear when I think about it. Um, halfway through, so about on, around the 15th or 16th, um, I took off my wedding ring and to make it a little bit dramatic, it's a bit like the power of the ring, you know, from Lord of the Rings is this, you know, this whole <laughs> precious. And, <laughs> and, um, but it really that could be a whole show <laughs> where 24, 23 participants search for the ring, the powerful ring somewhere in the monastery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I, I don't know what the story of your ring is, but, <laughs> but, um, I, I just really felt strongly that I wanted to, because it is a powerful symbol and, and it's all about, you know, 
how to behave, what's appropriate, inappropriate, what you're allowed to do. Um, just so much comes with that. And, um, and I just had the, I just had the feeling that I, I just wanted to be free of all of that. Um, and, and also the, the promises and the vows that, that went along with it. You know, um, till death does do part. It was just, it just seemed to be too. Anyway, it was this kind of real upheaval of all of this stuff. So I, I took the ring off. So I know where it is, but <laughs> I was thinking, oh, um, but I, 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 you know, I'm getting thoughts about when I go back home. I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to play out and, and, and I get some fear come up around that. Well, we over the years we've had so many ring parables, and I've shared a lot of them over the years with with uh, with this with me wearing the rings and and other people I've I've known that have had amazing things with meeting together, taking a ring off, and placing rings on people's hands, and all kinds of symbology. I I would say. It all is in the realm, everything in form. If it can be used by the Holy Spirit, it's just in the realm of symbols. So the ring is such a, a helpful symbol. No beginning, no end. And it's also a symbol of commitment, which we realize the ego doesn't even know what commitment is. And the Holy Spirit says oh, the atonement is a, is a total commitment. So we've got to bridge the gap from this impulsive puff of nothingness that's impulsive and doesn't even know what commitment is, and the atonement, which is a total commitment. And so you can see where rings and, and temporary commitments would be used building this commitment. And even when you commit to a partner or commit to a discipline or commit to a diet or commit to a tai chi, yoga, whatever, those are all helpful symbols of teaching the mind commitment. It still doesn't know what it's for. Like, obviously, a commitment to a partner doesn't automatically bring enlightenment. Like, okay, we've been married for 25 years, and I've worn this ring. Now, I want to be enlightened. I thought this would lead there somehow. But, you know, it, it's, it's just a symbol of commitment. But then what I'm talking about, too, is that towards that, when I say forget the world... When I say I need to do nothing, it's really a commitment to let your mind sink deeper into that stillness and let go of all thoughts of this world, all thoughts of past and future. Remember, Jesus says that no single instant does the body exist at all. It is remembered or anticipated. Wow, we could use that with the rings even. We could use that with anything, a cloud, a mountain. At no single instant does a mountain exist at all. It's remembered or anticipated. At no single instant does the cosmos exist at all. It's either remembered or anticipated. You see, the past and the future, the ego invented linear time to forget eternity. Oh, it seems to be quite a trick, a sneaky trick, <laughs> a pretty convincing sneaky trick, we could say for this ingenious puff of nothingness. And yet, that's where you have to realize that the Spirit will guide you toward the atonement. Of course, the, that's the only direction that this is all going towards. 
the atonement, that the separation never happened. That has to be the point of all of everything. So I do a lot of counseling with people. I've had people in the last month, a woman who from from Canada who's been in contact with me and that's the hardest thing for her to consider is it's been very intense, but she's really looking at the whole idea of her partnership and she's just questioning everything and she's like saying nothing's going to be kept off the table here with the Holy Spirit. And yet it's bringing up a lot of intensity. And then she was writing to me and then lo and behold, her partner writes, not even knowing that his wife and he's writing about Wanting to get deeper into mysticism, they don't even aren't even talking to each other. But I'm getting the Facebook messages, and that's just a reflection of of a desire to go very very deep. So I think that there's a, there are commitments that in the world that are that are part of the mind training that are very very helpful. I know. Um, I think. I was going back in time when when I first met Alexandra and Brian at uh, Denver. I had a ring that was given to me by my Course in Miracles girlfriend in Michigan, and I remember being there. And while I was in that community, at one point, um, toward the end, I think when I was there, Luke uh, slid one night. I was going to sleep, and he came over, and he. He looked at me and he kind of did the namaste thing and he slid, he slid this uh, silver ring uh, that my girlfriend had given me from Michigan, slid it off and he slid off a gold ring from his finger and then he took the silver ring and he put the ring on his finger. This is all before we're going to sleep and we're all just looking at it. And then, and then, and then he handed it to me and I, and I looked at it and it actually had a course inscription inside the gold, uh, ring. Teach only love. And I just watched and he slid it on. And then, so I said, okay. So I went to sleep and then the next morning I came up and he seemed a little nervous and he's like, kind of apologetic, like, I hope that was okay. And it, I said, that was great. See, to me, it's symbols. So I'm getting a silver one off and a gold one on. Teach only love, and I'm like, just I'm just watching, like like Chauncey Gardner. I love to watch. That's interesting. A gold ring with teach only love. You see that we didn't have. It's like Luke and I were not committing to a homosexual relationship, or you know, there's no there was no overlays. There was no connotations. At the most basic, simple. It was a gesture of exchanging rings and and love, and I and I took it. Oh, I thought, oh, that's such a beautiful symbol. And I went to sleep, and I never, and I and I had that on for years. And then I would go and travel and speak. And then, interesting thing, when you have a when you have a ring on that finger, what people believe that means. I mean, I went different countries, different cultures. I had people coming up to me. If I was just giving a talk by myself, that would be like a, a, st a starting conversation piece. That would start, you know, it's like, oh, I see you're wearing a ring on your finger. I'd be like, yes, I am. And then they'd try to get the meaning out of it. And I would just say, 
<clears throat> married to God. And they would go, oh, married to God. But I would notice that it wouldn't matter if I would travel, if I would travel with a, with a, a partner. If the partner was female and we would go in to give a talk or whatever, people would start coming up and touching me and they'd say, oh, your wife, your wife. I didn't say I had a wife. It's lesson number two from the course. I have given everything I see, all the meaning it has for me. People just project, like Chauncey Gardner, they projected all this meaning onto this gardener. They thought he was always saying they would, thought he would, in the end they wanted him to run for president. <laughs> That'd be interesting, a president with that kind of mindset. <laughs> that would top Abraham Lincoln, I think. <laughs> what is your, what is your view of Russia? I like to watch. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like there has to be, you know, but, but in the end you see it was symbols. And there was symbols and symbols and so much symbols, just use of symbols. And then it's kind of fascinating. That was like Chauncey Gardner going. And then it, I don't know when it was at some point. Oh, the ring. I started, you see the little thing? It started to like squeeze my finger. <laughs> it was like, and I thought, oh, this thing is getting. So at some point I just thought I better just put some soap in <laughs> and slip it off. And I stuck it in something. I stuck it. Isn't it some kind of a box or something? It's some kind of a box or something. I stuck it in there to, anyway, there it is. It's in, it's in a box in Mexico <laughs> somewhere. But, but for me, it's, it's good when you start to just think of the freedom your mind starts to have when you start to just see that everything that you perceive is symbolic. And then you start to think, I have given everything I see all the meaning that it has for me. It starts to let your mind out of guilt. And you start to look for what's the guidance. Just, Holy Spirit, you use it as symbols to take me to the atonement, to take me back to eternity. Isn't that freeing when you start to see a ring or this or that as something that's taking you home to eternity? Wow, I like the feel of that because it's just symbols. And, and that's really another definition of what forgiveness is. It just sees symbols as symbols. It doesn't give concrete meaning and reality to form. It's, people are symbols. That's, I was speaking maybe last week on the, on the shows and I'm, or no, I was doing an online retreat and I said a line on the online retreat. I said, People are not sinners. People are learning devices. And then, before you knew it, Nicholas had put it up on Facebook. People are not sinners. People are learning devices. David Hoffmeister. was like, oh my gosh. I don't know how that's going to go over in the Bible Belt, but it sounds really nice. <laughs> but you see, there was that symbolic learning devices. That's just the body is a learning device. It, it's not a lesson in and of itself. The lessons for the mind. You wouldn't, exp you wouldn't hold a learning device. You wouldn't hold a device and say, come on, you better get forgiveness. The only reason I'm still here in the world is because you didn't get the lesson of atonement. <laughs> I've had enough. I've hung with you for two years now without getting a higher version because I wanted, I expected the atonement out of you. That's right. That's right. 
and you're holding me back from eternity, you learning device. But that's as, that's as ridiculous as when you blame a condition of your body or you blame your intelligence and you think of memories of things you didn't do right and things you, when you're blaming the learning device for the, all the guilt or the shame you feel, that's as ridiculous as putting, for blaming the phone for keeping you from God. You know, I'd be home in heaven right now if it wasn't for you. You know, that's blaming the learning device. But so that's what the whole quote was about. People aren't sinners. People are learning devices. They're just part of our perception that's helping us go home to God. That's what the mystery school is. When you come here with a new purpose, then these learning devices can turn into symbols that that are reflecting truth, that are reflecting love, that are reflecting being mighty companions. You know, that's a very different view of people. Yeah. Autonomous linear preference packages. A linear A L P P. Sounds like that. What is that? What is Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease? No, autonomous. A L P P. Autonomous linear preference packages. Somebody says, why are you so unhappy? I've got a... a <laughs> Eventually that's going to be, they're going to have that on Facebook. David Hoffmeister says that people are autonomous, <laughs> linear, perceptual, preference, preference packages. ALPP. I, I we okay when Jason was here we he said something that really it really blew my mind and he said that we have to stop s spending lots of time with people in our lives that do not support our awakening that when we when we spend a lot of time with people in our lives we have intimate relationships with them and they don't support our awakening what we're really doing is it's really our own fear. It, it just reflects our own fear of awakening. And so, like, I, I, it hit home for me because I was in a relationship with a guy off and on, off and on. For four years, it was an atheist. And every time I brought up Course in Miracles, he could just see the hair, you know, and I'd leave and we'd go back together. But what was interesting is I hadn't talked to him in a year. and Three nights before I left to come here, I made contact with him. We decided to have coffee again after I got back. And I thought, my God, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to this monastery to have this expansive experience. But before I contacted this guy, and it was reflecting my own fear at some level of awakening. And I just thought, wow, it really spelled it out very clearly for me that when we draw people in, that atheists and people who are not interested at all or, or, or you know, 
actually really repulsed by what I, what you're doing. It's really, I mean, and I guess I just think that what are your thoughts on having people in your life that are, you know, that you're in close proximity to for years and years that don't have your awakening in mind as something that they want for you? I mean, how do, how do you? Well, the way that you get away from what I call stereotypical thinking, like, like people who are not good for you or whatever, some people would say, now, isn't that a judgment? Like, is there anybody that really couldn't be good for you when Jesus says that there's, <clears throat> there's nobody that you cannot learn from? He's, he says that. Uh, because why? Because you're thinking all the time and you're watching your mind. So whoever you're interacting with, you, you can learn from them. Uh, there's, you can teach and you can learn from them. So what, where the shift comes is when you start to think about, um, you have to shift from thinking of people as people. So this guy, he's not really a guy. He's a thought. So when you start to look at your, I am the light of the world. My, as the light of the world, I bring blessings to everyone. I am spirit. I am love. There's nothing to fear. You get into practicing the course lessons, then you start to realize you're just dealing in your mind with your thoughts. Remember, I can be hurt by nothing by my thoughts. It's not a guy that could hurt you. It's not a guy that could mess you up. Or having coffee with a guy. There's no problem with having a coffee. It's this thinking of a guy as a guy. That's the killer. Because you, you, that's what we call making something, trying to bring spirit into matter or turn thoughts in the mind into actual manifestations like a guy. So for me, it's never been a, a thing of where I, I start to look and think that I can divide up the world into that one's helpful for me. That one's not. It's a stepping stone. I mean, you know, if you've been married to three alcoholics and you think, Something's fishy about this. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's something fishy. I've just married a third alcoholic. Hmm. Maybe I should go to an astrologer or, or you know, or do find, do the Enneagram or do something to figure this out. But what it is to me is it's, it's I have given everything. I see all the meaning it has for me. And as I start to tune in to guidance, and I start to tune in to what is it for? You see, it's not just to have a date with a guy or to have a relationship with a guy, but, but I'm trying to awaken from this dream of fragmentation. So I'm trying to open up. So it's like, it's not like Rita deciding whether she dates this guy or has coffee with this guy, but it's back to what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say? And to whom? You see, Guidance is really the answer to everything. And the guidance is what? The Holy Spirit using the thoughts. It's really like you're saying to Jesus, okay, here's a world. I'm going to give it back to you. Now you use it to wake me up. I'm not going to think of a guy as a guy anymore. If I'm supposed to meet with somebody, I don't, I'm not going to call it a date or whatever. I'm just going to say, if I'm supposed to meet somebody, you tell me who to meet. You tell me what to do. You tell me what to say. I'm not, I don't want to stereotype and classify as if there's helpful people and unhelpful people. I'll give you a funny story. I, 
I met this woman who's an amazing singer. Some of you know Elisa Moore, some of her albums, Infinity Album, and it's Course in Miracles. The whole thing is Course Lyrics. So I invited her to come to the monastery one time and to, to sing here as part of maybe one of our strawberry festivals or whatever. And um, she knows that I like movies. And she did this whole album, and every single lyric in the album is A Course in Miracles lyrics. So she comes here, and I meet her and everything, and she says, well, you know, I'm an atheist. So I'm like, okay. People can be whatever they want, believe they want. But I'm thinking, hmm, she's done a whole album where every single song is from the Course. I mean, verbatim, every single, on my decision, all salvation rest, and everything. And she says, she's telling me, she's an atheist. Okay. Because people are, are just thoughts, and I don't care what they call themselves. I mean, they're in my mind anyway. There's only one of us, only one mind. So you can call yourself an atheist, believer, non-believer, I don't care. Call yourself whatever you want. You're the Christ, and I'm happy. So I'm here and everything. And then I'm going to show a movie here. And and I'm showing a Bill Maher movie, Religulous. And so I show the movie, and everything, and she's like, she comes up to me afterwards. She said, I can't believe that you would actually show that movie. And I'm thinking, seemed good to me. I mean, it's a, a great teaching device. But apparently, she sees... Bill Maher as the ultimate atheist. And here she is at a monastery talking to a preacher who studies the Course showing this atheist movie. I just, I don't see anything other than thoughts. All I'm doing is listening to my guidance. I thought that was a great movie. It was hilarious at pointing out contradictions of religions showing all kinds of contradictions. And and fine, he can call himself an atheist. He could call himself whatever he wants. She can call I just don't buy any of the labels. I'm just into one thing. Guidance. What would you have me do? I didn't even think that I, I was a preacher showing an atheist movie. She was questioning, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm an, she's like, I'm an atheist, you're a Course in Miracles preacher, and you're showing an atheist movie to this Course in Miracles crowd. I'm like, what? I don't, you, you have to go beyond the idea of, I call it stereotypical thinking, because none of us, we can say we're this, we can say we're that. They're all just roles and concepts, and it's more like, what would the Spirit have me say in the moment if I'm to say anything at all? I've been on trains and planes and everything, and I never know who I'm sitting next to me, and I never know, I don't even need to know what they're thinking, what they believe. Uh, like, I love that, the way Jesus does that. I was at a, I was at a, a used tire shop, a rundown used tire shop one time, getting a used tire years ago for one of my cars. And the woman sitting next to me, she's just looking at me and she's just smiling and smiling and smiling. And finally, we're just sitting there smiling at each other, and she finally looks at me and she goes, 
Do you know what the name of God is? <laughs> now, for most people, that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. You could be anywhere in the world. Do you know what the name of God is? She says that. She's just smiling at me and she comes out. Do you know what the name of God is? Well, of course, I'm just living in the present moment, as clueless as ever. I have no idea what to say or do. I'm just smiling back at her. And so, but I'm in that prayer of Jesus, use me. I'm just, I'm, I'm a puppet on your strings. I have no clue what to say or do ever. But I'm, it's all involuntary, so I'm just sitting, I smell, and so she says, do you know what the name of God is? And I said, tell me. Only Jesus can come up with that. Answer that question with tell me. Human beings are going to fall into a big debate. It's not going to end well <laughs> when you try, is it Krishna? Is it Buddha? Is it Jer Jeremiah? What's it? Yahweh, Allah, you're in trouble. But Jesus goes, with such joy and excitement, he went, tell me, tell me. She's like, so, so we got into this great discussion because she was just going to tell me the name of God. And to me, God is a presence of love. Whatever name, you call it Fred. <laughs> call it Call it anything. Call it it. Call it, some people do. They like it. They don't like it. Male or female. It. But, so tell me. And then she went and she was so happy talking about God. I didn't even care what name she used. Like she could call it Wilma. Could call it anything. It just, she was so happy talking about God. And, and I was just nodding and smiling and feeling all the love that was coming from her. But you see, that's, that's why it's all about guidance, because David didn't pick those words, tell me. It was the spirit of love, because why? Because what is it about but connecting? It's all about connecting. And sometimes I will say things and people go, I can't believe you just said that. You don't know how important that. I didn't pick the words. Jesus is like orchestrating the holy encounter by giving me the words that trigger something in a wonderful way, and then it, off we go to a great holy encounter. But you see, that's the part about not trying to, to answer or speak for yourself. It's letting the Holy Spirit guide the words that the puppet speaks. Because why? Because it's all about the joining. It's not about the conversation. It's not about being right. It's not about a theology. It's not about making a point or debating somebody, those are not the reasons for the encounter. The whole encounter is to see, when you meet anyone, remember it's a holy encounter. As you see him, you will see yourself. As you treat him, you will treat yourself. As you think of him, there's that think of again, you will think of yourself. So I think what Jason was probably saying is, as you start to ask, what is this for? Really, when you start to really get into the habit of like, what will expand me? What will draw me closer to you, God? What will lift me back to heaven? What will take me to eternity? When that's the prayer of your heart, then you also have to trust that the right words will come and also the right people. You know, it's like, what am I spending time here for? I've enjoyed being spoken through and laughed through and hugged through and smiled through for in many countries, in many places, because it was the prayer of my heart. 
but also now it's it's also getting to the point where it's it's fun to be in silence. You know, that was what it was all for. It was all to clear away the debris of I know mind, clear away the debris of opinions, of concepts. That was it was all for be still and know that I'm God. It was never about the words. It was never about doing this or doing that. That was all just a backdrop. It was really about the prayer of the heart, of that forgetting the world. That's an amazing prayer when you really want to forget the world. Then the words, they'll just come as long as they're needed and then no big loss. Yeah. Wow, it feels like we're, that's what we're here for. We're doing for this for the whole universe. Yeah. This is what it's all for. True freedom, true happiness. A true idea instead of stereotypical thinking, you know. We're here for truth. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Very good. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's been so sweet being here with all of you. Thank you. Thank you.